Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats or on Facebook. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. Go right to nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews wherever you can if they're positive and even if they're negative, I suppose. And check out our Patreon as well. Only positive people there. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. Help the show stay ad-free. Support our efforts here on the program. We have entry level for supporting and voting. Mid-level for early access to new shows and with higher audio quality. And our upper level, upper level, bestest friends of all. Exclusive content at least once a month. Remastered episodes with additional song clips. And a Spotify playlists too by popular demand with our uh, end of show choices for each of our episodes as well. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Enjoying the lovely weather. It's uh, 60 degrees, a bit breezy, but that's fine. You know what? There's, there really is nothing better than Chicago at night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? I think I could attest for that, and I think our guests can attest for that too, perhaps. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. Our guest for today's program is a repeat offender. He is co-editor of Scalia Speaks, Reflections on Law, Faith, and Life Well Lived, and On Faith, Lessons from an American Believer. He's also the director of academic programs at the American Enterprise Institute. He is Christopher Scalia. Find him on Twitter, at CJ Scalia. Chris, thanks for joining us once again. Thank you guys very much for having me back. Um, I am... Uh, really flattered that you chose me ahead of Beto and uh, Pete Buttigieg to talk about <laughs> tonight's band. And uh, and Chicago at night is wonderful as long as the Bears have beaten the Packers. Hey, by the way, we, 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 we tried to get Pete, but he's too good for us. So we had to settle for you, Chris. Sorry. Uh, it's all right. I, I'm, I'm still happy with it. As long as it works out in the end. That's what's yeah. important. Uh, and uh, Chris, being a repeat guest on the program, I believe, I'm pretty darn sure, we have a job change a job change since our first episode on Cheap Trick. So, Chris, tell us what you're doing now, how you got there, and uh, what you're all about. Well, you know, as you can imagine, my knowledge and opinions of Cheap Trick really kind of opened a lot of doors for me <laughs> up here in D.C. So, um, no, I, I, I started work at the American Enterprise Institute a couple of years ago. I uh, direct their academic programs, as you said. And basically what we do is we try to improve the the substance and quality of discourse on campus by uh, kind of... Um, starting uh, student councils on campuses or around the country, uh, having those, those student organizations invite AEI scholars to engage in, uh, in policy conversations with professors and, and other people on campus. And we uh, have programming at AEI and right now remotely uh, that brings uh, some of the best students from around the country to, to AEI to uh, engage with our scholars and, and learn about uh, significant policy issues. Uh, AEI.org for more on that. Chris was with us once before for a great band, Cheap Trick. He is with us once again for another fantastic band, and it's Spoon. And it, weird reactions on Twitter when we brought up Spoon because uh, some people are, are are very familiar, very big fans. And despite, I, I think, arguably being uh, the, what, the, the finest, perhaps, rock band, American rock band of the past 20 plus years, there are still some people who literally have not heard 
of this band to just not run across them. But you're going to find out. I've gotten, gotten this... quite a few reactions yeah. uh, in my responses saying like, oh, wow, I'm looking forward to this episode. I've never even heard of these people until you mentioned them. And you know what? I don't feel bad about that because I never heard of the old 97s until we did <laughs> that episode. And that worked out well, too. That's so I right. think a lot of people are going to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, we're excited. I'm excited about bringing this music to people who perhaps have not heard it before because it is phenomenal. Christopher Scalia, tell us uh, why you love this band, Spoon, how you got into them, and why people should care about this music. Well, as is the case with with so many bands I like, I first heard them uh, when a friend was driving me somewhere. Uh, he, I think he had just gotten um, Girls Can Tell, and uh, he put it in the CD player. It was a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure it was a CD player. And... Uh, uh, I loved it right away. I think he knew I would like it because he knew I liked Elvis Costello. And I think he immediately pointed out the Elvis Costello similarities um, kind of lyrically and vocally. Um, but I also, I, so I was attracted to that, but I also really liked Britt Daniels, uh, his sneer. He has this, it's kind of like an Elvis Costello sneer, but it also sounds like he has marbles in his mouth a little bit. And I liked that. It reminded me a little bit of uh, uh, jam era Paul Weller. fundamental simplicity especially of that album um just in some ways just such a uh, basic uh, approach to song structure and and um, um instrumentation and all of that but it's very very effective it's just precise and done very effectively uh i make it sound so clinical but that's the amazing thing about spoon is that they are they are precise and um things like that but they're also very very powerful uh, and so I, I liked that that uh, combination of elements um, immediately in, in their first album. Uh, so that I think that would have been the spring of t- what was that two thousand when that came out or two thousand one? If it was Girls Can Tell, then it would have been yeah. two thousand one. So, right. so I was I was later than you, Jeff. But but uh, yeah, so their their major label debut, I guess. And then from there, I've just I've bought every album as basically as soon as it comes out. Um, and it's been a lot of fun seeing them progress. The, the things that I liked about them right away have, uh, I think they've, they've maintained in a lot of ways, but they've also developed their sounds in a lot of ways. They, they still have this signature style that I think we'll come back to again and again, but they've, they've added some touches, um, gone in some different sonic directions that I think for the most part have worked really well. Um, and they're one of the few bands now that, uh, I really get excited about when, when I hear a, a new album's coming out. And it, it's strange. I guess it's a sign of how old I am, but I still consider them a new band, <laughs> <laughs> even though they've been around forever. 
and I think that's maybe because they just haven't had enorm- maybe the enormous success that uh, maybe they should have had. Spoon, in a weird way for me, are like the platonic ideal of a classic great band, in quotes, great band. And the funny thing about that is that, um, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, including people who are listening to the show, as I just you know, said earlier, may not have even ever heard of them, or maybe only heard of them out of the corner of their ears or eyes, like, oh, like, oh yeah, that's that band that always gets like 10.0 reviews on pitchfork media or something like that because they they basically always kill it with the critics but this is a group that is like literally never disappointed which is almost bizarre at this point because we're talking about a band that has nine albums at this point and there's a tenth one that i think is apparently like almost done or either almost done or done that's going to be coming you know at, you know after everybody gets out of covid lockdown so the show is going to be overtaken by events unfortunately not long after we put it in the bag but uh and yet you know they they're consistently great they're consistently excellent and yet you don't ever hear their music on the radio and you're never going to hear their music like on, uh, you know, it's, it's not the kind of thing that comes up in discussions of popular music. And you have to ask yourself, well, why, why is that the case? And I think that they have, to the extent you can call a band that's had this much success, critical success, and is still going strong victims in a way, they're a victim of their own strengths. They're a victim of the fact that they're so consistent. They're like a Swiss timepiece that's the way i described it to you guys when we were doing our pre-show notes like every year couple of years or so you can just reliably count on them to crank out a great album oh this is the album is this album a b plus or is it an a plus or an a minus it's never going to be a c all right there are no c minus you know uh spoon albums and i and i was joking not only on twitter but also with scott earlier to you know that i almost dread doing this show because it's so <laughs> hard to just keep saying okay and then they put another great album out and then this next album this is awesome oh this ep that's really fantastic ep you definitely need to hear that but uh, you know there are other bands including bands that i would compare them to i think of pavement is it, it, the, they always got compared to the Pixies in their first album, but really Pavement to me feels like the one that they remind me the most of. And I think Pavement, of course, is the greatest band of the 1990s, period. Uh, they are up there with them, and they, what they have is that consistency, but even Pavement on their last record, their final album, like, you know, kind of face-planted. You know, Terror Twilight is not a great record. I can't say that about any single record that Spoon put out. Um the other thing, of course, is that the trends were moving away from this kind of music. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, the real thing. That, you know, if, if Spoon had started in 1989 instead of 1996, the way they did with their first record, then we might have a different story in terms of how well known they are. Or even, like, you know, how they are super cult figures. They're beloved among, like, you know, the certain kinds of hipsters and, you know, indie rockers or, uh, you know, you know, people like me frankly all right but their sort of mind share among the the general public is so small because by the time they really just came into the full bloom of their their strength um music i mean it was 1999 2000 what was current on the radio then it was like you know teeny bopper pop or new metal and now it's like you know sort of slick and robotic r&b music or hip-hop um 
so the kind of music that they make, which has not remained the same, uh, it has changed throughout all their albums. But but none of this stuff is trendy anymore. Uh, which is, again, the funny thing I was just thinking to myself before we started the show. It's like, listen, you know, if you're not familiar with Spoon, let me just tell you this. Do you like the Beatles? You're going to like Spoon. Do you like Talk Talk? Well, you're also going to like Spoon. Do you only like De La Soul or Beck? You're going to like Spoon. I don't think you cannot like these guys, Brit Daniels songwriting, in general, because I think it's just so uh, wonderful and weird, but also it never pushes you away. The way that sometimes, you know, bands like Pavement or even Radiohead, for that matter, uh, could kind of push you out. Uh, Spoon are much more immediate. There's there's nothing uh, about their music that you know like you know tries to either you know push you away or, or or make you cringe or force you to to like it, and yet they manage this miraculous thing of of still being like you know complex and thoughtful and not simplistic even as they play, you know you can't even just reduce them to the term guitar rock. Well, they started off as purely guitar rock, but then all of a sudden the pianos come in, the keyboards, the mellotrons, strings horns they get into everything pretty much they even get into like doing like ripoffs of you know booker t and the mg's green onions and they, they like r&b classic stuff there's something here for everyone and it's such a joy to talk about this group the consistency and the excellence of the output is something we'll return to over and over and over again and uh, from that angle, the only other, not the only other, perhaps, the other band I, I, I put in that same category that uh, we'll get to at some point, we'll get to one day, uh, and putting out, you know, past 20 plus years, uh, like clockwork, consistent releases, all quality, no duds, great songs on every album. And that's, you know, that's the new pornographers. Uh, I, I put them in the same sort of category. Just killer album after killer album. They know what they're template is but they're always painting with different brushes and using different colors and that's what spoon has done as well uh my first introduction to this band was on a mix cd my college roommates and i at the end of each year would would swap uh would swap essentially best of you know best of 10 best albums 10 songs and a few extras and we continue to do that even after we were uh, we graduated but the, the one year uh, the song that was on uh, the mix CD was something I had not heard before, and uh, that was Stay, Don't Go from Kill the Moonlight. And it was immediately my favorite track on this compilation CD, this best of the year CD that I had received. So yeah, I went back and, and grabbed uh, uh, Kill the Moonlight, the entire album, and and loved it. Loved it from the get-go. I mean, one of those albums for me that was immediately accessible, and I loved 
everything about it, even though, you know, when we'll talk about this, it, it is, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so minimalistic at, at points, but that works so well when it's built around the strength of Daniel's songwriting and that great uh, percussion and, and the drum playing of Jim Eno. Uh, you know, that, and that's essentially the band. I mean, they, they rotate through some bass players and there's some uh, piano and, and organ uh, players, especially one that's been with them for a while now in, in the past, I guess, decade or so. But I mean, really, it, it, it's about Daniel and it's about Eno. And, and they have been just an incredibly consistent band putting out really great albums, each of them with a couple of, un, you know, songs you, you can't, forget with hooks that worm their way into into your head i'll make an argument in a bit that one of their albums is perhaps the best album of that decade it was released i, I think that highly of it and the strange thing is you talk to spoon fans and ask them what their favorite album is or or the best spoon album is and you'll likely get i mean at least four or maybe five different choices and all of them are uh, valid choices. And I can understand why someone would say any of those might be the best or their favorite Spoon album. Uh, I have my choice. You guys will have your choice uh, as we get further on in the program. But I, I think there are multiple options that are all valid. And that, that just speaks to the high quality, uh, the great songwriting and, and, and performances on all of these albums. This is a such a richly rewarding discography it's a great i think someone had tweeted at you jeff it is a great band to put on a road trip because you're not going to hear anything that you're going to reach to skip you're not going to hear anything that will immediately uh you know turn you away and say uh, next song and then of course you'll hit the gems along the way too it's just a really listenable really entertaining band that again uh arguably the greatest american rock band of the past 20 years the beast and dragon always do these stupid historical setups. Maybe for once you can set the scene and explain how this band came out of Austin. Well, uh, as you mentioned, they're an Austin band and and, uh, Britt Daniel and Jimmy will make up the nucleus of uh, Spoon. So uh, Britt Daniel is the main songwriter and uh, Jimmy plays percussion, drums mostly. And these guys uh, were around, you know, at the very tail end of that big rock era of the 90s when there were still bands being scooped up by major labels and hoping to cash it on success. Uh, the guys met in the, I think, early 90s and uh, formed a, a band. Uh, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the name of the band is chosen to honor one of your favorite 
What of your favorite my, bands, okay, Jeff? Okay, my favorite band, well, one of my favorite bands indeed, is, is a band called Can, one of the great <laughs> kraut rock acts. And Can started their own little boutique label because, you know, who's going to release Can records, right? You know, it's this weird, funky, strange German group. What is the name of that label? It's, the name of it is called Spoon. Uh, and so they decided, hey, that's a great name. We're going we're gonna to take that. We're going to make that our band name as a tribute to them. Now, here's the hilarious thing. There isn't a single spoon sounds nothing like the band can <laughs> actually not entirely there is one album where they start to sound a little bit like them they get into the minimalism and i'll get to that when we get there uh you know it's uh, gimme fiction is the is the one where I, all of a sudden you're like hey wait a second i i, I can hear i can hear some can <laughs> coming in there right uh but no that they're they, they couldn't be any dip they couldn't be more different uh and yeah and so like what do they do they sign with like you know what, what are all the great what do all the indie bands have to do? Sign with Matador Records, right? I and mean, it just seems like it's a, it's a rite of passage. And so that's where they, they start first with their... Can, uh, can I interject yeah. there? about yeah. As long as we're talking the name. I, I didn't know that about the name. Um, that, that's really interesting. But I'm convinced, you know, you have to attribute some of their lack of popularity to that name. If they had even just been The Spoons... I think people would have had an easier time with it. But I, you know, you're I, right about that. That's a great thought. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, so what, what music are you into right now? And I say Spoon, and, and they, they actually laugh at me. I'm not kidding. They laugh at me um, because, as you said, they haven't heard of the band. Even people really into indie music haven't heard of Spoon. Um, and it's well, just we're, we're talking like, about a, a band that named its best album, arguably, after what sounds like complete baby talk, too. Yeah, so, well, that, you know, that, so. yeah you're, you're right about that. So, like, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe they're, 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 they aren't making a commercial play necessarily. So, anyways, <laughs> I mean, with the, the short version is that, you know, they, they do the classic, you know, indie thing. They release an early EP. It's the Nefarious EP. And it's actually funny. I, I hadn't heard their EPs um, until very recently. I have all their albums. I bought them all. I, you know, actually at the time, you know. Um, but I hadn't gone back to hear their EPs. Some of these EPs are, are magnificent. We will talk about them. Their first one is actually probably the, the, the most disposable. It's it's nefarious. And it's just four songs. They would re-record a number of them for their first album. And they're all far better in the re-recordings, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's really where you start. You start with that first album. And, mm -hmm. of course, I'm going to embarrass myself by maybe mispronouncing <laughs> the name of it because I have never been able to figure out. I got this album in 1997, and I to this day still don't know whether it's pronounced telefono or telefono, like you know, in the Spanish way. It's spelled with the ph, so I, I kind of yeah. anglicize well, it. Right, it's Americanized it. It's telefono. Uh, Telephoto, right? It's a fantastic record. And I know Chris actually some will have a few criticisms of it, but I think this is a great debut album. This to me is the only time where you can see some of their early roots showing. You know, Spoon becomes Spoon and, and it's kind of difficult to, to explain without really dropping the music clips and how classic spoon has this weird mix of sort of angularity and interesting guitar ideas and also you know beauty and you know, piano and, and keyboard stuff but they evolved into that later this is their first album and of course what it gets dinged sometimes for is just sounding very very redolent of the pixies Carolina's Around on a corner all night 
You know, it's, it's 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 not completely a Pixies knockoff. And I, by the way, I'm going to point out that the, what the heck is wrong with a band <laughs> that likes the Pixies? Like the world can use more Pixies imitators uh, because this is how good a band Spoon is. This is like the, the the Pixies at their best. Not like the really like not so great Trump Lamont Bossa Nova era Pixies, where you know Black Francis was running out of steam. This is this is some quality Surferosa era pixies sound to this music but it is that one album of theirs where you can absolutely say okay uh, yeah when, when i hear dismember for example with, from the title alone <laughs> that has that that same kind of like frightening yeah. image like broken face or you know uh you know and then the the the, the, the has the, the female vocals that could might as well just be kim deal in the background uh that is such a pixies knockoff but you know what it's still a good song And I have to say, this is one of those records where, like, you know, you know, despite the fact that it's so clearly, to, you know, owes a debt to another group, uh, it, it's still super fun to listen to. And it is their heaviest album. This is guitar, bass, and drums. There's nothing else. There's no piano. There's no violins. There's no strings or horns or anything like that. This is just them as a three-piece act. And I, I, I'm still up to listen to it, you know, you know, a couple times every year. Scott, maybe you should go next. I, I think you like this album a little more than I do. I do, I do like it more than uh, than you do, or at least I, I anticipate you're going to. And I, I, I'll, I'll echo what Jeff said, which is, of course, yes, this is uh, where you sure where you see the seams uh, on the band, right? Uh, this is where the influences shine through. Uh, some pavement, a lot of Pixies, no doubt about that. But as Jeff said. Um, they do it well, uh, and and they pick a, a great band to try to uh, to try to ape, to try to imitate, and they pull it off very well. Uh, Don't buy the realistic is the first song of the album that it's sort of it's a long, low, slow fade in, and when it hits, it has that unmistakable pixie sound. I mean, great dynamics, uh, some vocal harmonies. That guitar tone is very Joey Santiago and Frank Black, and that just you know low end booming bass. Uh, Don't Buy the Realistic is one of the better songs in the album, and yeah, it sounds like the Pixies, and that's and the, the okay. vocals. The vocals are pure Steve Malkmus. So, like the best way to explain this album to somebody on you know on a you know, thumbnail description is say, imagine the Pixies with Stephen Malkmus of Pavement mm. singing it, and yeah, you, that's exactly what you get. Oh. Which, by the way, those two bands are great. So I'm I like that. Oh. 
Yeah, th- this is uh, the the songs here are quick bursts, uh, uh, screaming, and there's some howling. This is the the, the album most uh, fueled by adrenaline, right? There are the songs rarely get more than two and a half minutes long or so. Um, by I just wrote down this note. I, I think there's more more profanity on this record than in the entire rest of the Spoon catalog combined. Like there's yeah. random, <laughs> random curse yeah. words, yeah. random f bombs all over the place yeah, on the uh, right. telephoto. I, I think it closes very strong. I like the last trio of songs. The last two songs are the best songs on the album. Government yeah. Darling, which is they re-recorded from the Nefarious yep. EP, and then Plastic Mylar. Those are so great. The Government Darling is not only a great song, but it's a good lyric too. You're the government darling you're sick of yourself you know what what would the powers that be do without your dad we probably live among the socialists it's just like a funny kind of insouciant very again pavement-esque kind of a, a take um but god that that melody is not only is it great it's also just so notably improved from the first ep's version mm-hmm. of it like it, it's practically a different song when they went back to do it again yeah. you know and it's 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 kind of interesting to hear like when they did a you know a re-recording it's not a ripoff because they, they just they made it so much better Jumpy song structures here, almost yeah. spasms of songs in places. Again, there's some that are you know 90 seconds, less than two minutes, and uh, again, I just go back. You know, it's it's adrenaline filled. It's very up tempo. Uh, it's very loud, uh, fuzzy, uh, sort of of that era, 1996, and you're you're just seeing and hearing the influences. But as Jeff said, I, I think it's a very listenable record. There's there's nothing that I dislike about it. And hearing the echoes of those bands that influenced Spoon, I, I don't have a problem with. I think the songs are pretty good. So, I, no, no, Chris, be negative for yeah. it. <laughs> um, I, th- I think one of the reasons I don't like this album very much is that I I came to it so late. And I wonder if if this were the first Spoon album I had heard, I would appreciate it more. But it's just so different than what I like Spoon for. It's hard for me to really like as a Spoon album, uh, if if that makes sense. So, I mean, yeah, the, the Pixies, I, I love the Pixies, but I don't want to listen to Spoon for a pseudo Pixies album. So this always kind of, uh, um, I've just never really put this album on for anything but to like give it another try to see if there's <laughs> something I was missing. And I still have not, as many times as I've tried it, I haven't found um, real deep purchase in it. Uh, so I, I, I agree with basically everything you described about the album. I think you described it perfectly. I just don't, I just don't like it. I don't dis- disagree with any of your descriptions. I do like, I, I agree with you. I think it ends really, really strongly. Um, I love those last few tracks in particular, especially uh, Government Darling and Plastic Mylar. She could be able to take me far. 
I think it's it's interesting to see uh, Daniel's voice over the course of this album, just because it's after this album he is he plays it a little bit cooler. He has mm-hmm. he yells a little bit more. He still yells in later albums, but it's not quite as aggressive and it's a little bit more controlled. And as a result, I think it's more effective. Um, uh, and the description of the uh, album as a series of quick bursts, I think that's absolutely right. But again, I think they do that same type of approach late, better later on with a, an album we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, there, there are some there are some moments where the Pixies ishness of it just really I almost kind of laugh out loud at, uh, when, when I hear them. Like some of the lines, like uh, uh, well, I, I I can't quote some of the lines because it's. Uh, we can we we can bleep you, and you know this is actually great. This is great because that means our, our Patreon epi- our, our members will get to hear it unbleeped. So just go for it. Yeah. He, so he just he says a few times on in uh, this is I'm not sure how to pronounce this title, but Cervante. Uh, you can Cervantes. Say, I, I assume yeah. it's like Cervantes. Right? Oh yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You can say so, motherfucker. And he repeats that a few times. And um, I keep I I like I'm expecting him to say I was talking to Peachy Peach about Kissy Kiss. It's just kind of the, the inflection is so pixies pixies um, It's it's really kind of disarming to me. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say it's a bad album. I don't. I think for uh, you know an album from 1997, it was kind of like a. I still wouldn't call it a top tier album from that time, but it it's pretty good. I just don't lo- love it as a spoon album. But but Jeff, I have a I have a question for you about this. So you were yeah. you would have been still in, in I Maryland. Like, I was in high school. I was yeah, like, yeah, I was. I think I got it in my my junior year, senior yeah. year of high school. Why? So they never they did HFS or any alternative rock station in the area play this album or any track? Uh, absolutely not. I only found, I only found it because I had a friend of mine, uh, uh, Akshay. He's out there somewhere, hopefully listening to this show. He was on my it's academic team with me. Oh, <laughs> he nice. was yeah, I know. Isn't that isn't that nerdy? We we were we were kind of unabashed nerds. He was the one who turned me on a spoon. He's like, hey, check this out. And so like that's that's how I found them like yeah. back then. Um, so yeah, uh, it was you know very very serendipitous. You know, uh, you know I think a lot, but you know I was really kind of a classic rock dork uh, in high school. So though the modern bands that I got into back then, you know whether it was Pavement or Spoon or Radiohead for that matter, actually kind of sometimes were serendipitous accidents that have, yeah. thankfully have clung to me all this time. I want to just say that like there's the the Spoon aesthetic is actually. Maybe it's disguised by the Pixies-like approach, but it's still there. Every one of these songs, every one of them really, okay, has like nagging, memorable riffs and hooks and little guitar figures that, you know, just, you know, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, that's good. Like Towner, like that's a song that just will grow on you.
and the Stupid Instrumental, which is another very Pixies like song, um, themed to Wendell Stivers, which is mm-hmm. like a, a fake instrumental. It's like, you know, this is a song called Tony's Theme. It's about a superhero <laughs> named Tony. You know, that's, you know, you can almost hear that, right? Uh, but they're good. They're really interesting tunes. And there's one other thing I can say about this album, which is. Uh, I, I constantly return to this on the show, and this is the beginning of it. One of the best virtues and most underrated virtues of Spoon albums is they are never too long. The yeah. longest Spoon album, I think, of all time is 43 minutes. This one's like 36. They understood on a gut level, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. You know, just like Barry Gordy might have said. So, like, it's only 36 minutes, and there's never an overlong Spoon record. So, that, that, that's why it's like, even if you're, this isn't maybe necessarily your thing, this is the beginning of their career, it's also over in a half hour. And, you know, you're going to still end up liking listening to, like, you know, all the negatives have been destroyed. The albums are relatively brief compared to their time, of course, but what's even shorter than the full length albums. The, the EPs, EPs. which uh, brings us to this uh, this bridge EP between Telephoto and a series of sneaks, and where, where should, Spoon immediately becomes Spoon. It should be pointed out yeah, too that that nobody bought this album. Telephoto, it was like three thousand copies were sold. They were they did not make it. They were not big. They did not uh, you know they did not in fact. Uh, I don't know if you know if they'd be uh, invited back to their th- that label if they were not picked up by a major label for the next release and. This soft effects EP that we're going to talk about here, uh, the songs in here were sort of meant to be saved as as like singles that we're going to they're going to release after Telefono was a big hit and yeah, they were the be, singles they were ready to be go. The idea, right? Yeah. And that didn't happen, so they they slapped all these songs they had onto this EP called Soft Effects, five songs. And, and it's five single quality songs. I yeah, think I all it. so good. three of us are going to say that we like the uh, this EP better than the previous album. Absolutely. It it is amazing. This is the one where I am embarrassed to admit that I didn't even hear this until this week. I literally, like in our email thread, I was like, hey, you guys have the non-album material. Any guys, you have it? And and they were like, you you, you might want to check out one of these EPs. And now I feel like that idiot who claims to be a Super Pavement fan but has never heard the Watery Domestic EP, which is like one of their greatest releases. Because Soft Effects, it won't make my top two at the end but it will get an honorable mention. There are songs on this that actually probably will make my top five that are the best of their career. This suddenly it's beautiful. Suddenly there are keyboards, not even keyboards. It's, it's more of a kind of a keyboard aesthetic. It's a melodic aesthetic, no longer pixie stuff, but I could see the dude is just such a beautiful song. And it ends with, I think one of their five best, which is lost leaders. Um, uh, uh, a ballad or a rock ballad uh, that is secret, uh, a secret, but probably one of the best things that Britt Daniels ever wrote.
love this as well. This does really feel like where they become, um, or they really kind of find find the sound that they develop over the course, uh, the rest of their career. And you know, going back to the to Telefono, the song structure, even the song structure, is kind of Pixie-ish because you have the slow and then fast slow template that the Pixies established and Nirvana, you know, made famous. And that's not really typical for the rest of Spoon's career. And I think starting with this album, they they kind of start with the groove and the groove continues. The song around it, around it change, but the, the basic template of the groove is consistent over the course of the song. Now, obviously, uh, not every song does that. It would be oversimplifying to say that, but it's, it's a pretty common approach to, or, uh, to their song structure. And you really see it over a number of songs here, waiting for the kids to come out, maybe the best one on, on this EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really Getting like one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel's Daniel's vocals. I love, I mentioned how he didn't really control his vocals as much in Telefono here. His vocals are really affected, especially waiting for the kids to come out. He pronounces words strangely as he does in a lot of his, in the early albums. Um, uh, I'm going to curse again, guys, get ready with the button, but he's, <laughs> Like uh, you could stick all that up your ass. He, he pronounces ass really strangely. I don't know why. We don't even. We don't even need to bleep that, Chris. Oh, that's really disappointing. And then I think he barks a couple of times in that song. Uh, and I like to imagine uh, there's there's an homage to Elvis Costello's Black Sails in the Sunset. I really doubt it's true, but I like to imagine is that at the uh, couple points in the song, it, Daniels uh, sings, let it bleed. And the vocal effect he does with that is is straight out of something Costello does in, um, in Black Sails in the Sunset, which I think was a, a B-side, right? Yeah, um, it was like an obscure bonus track on the reissues from the early nineties. Yeah. Means that it's possible that it was that's it, where he picked it up, right? Yeah, and it was uh, on Out of Our Idiot too. Before that, mm-hmm. I think so. He, yeah, he probably would have heard it somewhere. Um, also, going too far with references here, I also like to imagine that Soft Effects is a reference to the Jam album Sound, sound Effects. effects. No, it has to be. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, the, the, it so clearly is. Which is which is the, talk about a band that no one knows about, but they should. I mean, band, yeah. Everyone in Britain knows the jam, but nobody yeah. in America does. Yes, that's their best record. So, Jeff, I, I wonder what you think. I, I know you love Lost Leaders. You know a lot more about Pavement than I do, but that strikes me as the most most pavement light like song on this EP. It reminds uh, me of a song again. The, the comparison to the Pavement Watery Domestic EP is so great because they're both like you know fundamental, like important foundational works for these bands. It reminds me of the last song on that record, which is called "Shoot the Singer." One sick first, uh, which is this thing, which is it's, it's very. There are different songs, but they're just fundamentally so melodic and so painstakingly constructed as you know song craft that it's just you know 
I can understand why they got the comparisons. And I actually, this funny thing is, is like it, it's the next album, really, but around this time, is when he would s- stop sounding like Malkmus. He he still mm-hmm. does, you know. I, you know, Britt Daniel still sounds like he's doing a, like a Steve Malkmus impression. I always wonder because they were on Matador Records together. I always wonder if there was like you know some uh, you know shade being thrown at one or the other because of the similarities. But uh, yeah, th- there are um, they are both tributes to just beautiful craftsmanship in song which is i guess what makes spoon spoon from this point onwards this ep i think even more so than the next album is the closest that they come to really figuring things out uh before uh girls can tell um and that's reflected in i think lost leaders you guys have talked about two of my three favorite tracks lost leaders and then waiting for the kid to come out um and, and i'm waiting for the kid to come out should mention too that's the first time I really hear Eno's drums have that spark, that that jump, uh, that would really define some of that sound moving forward. That, that I hear that real strongly on "Waiting for the Kid to Come Out," and that I really enjoy "Mountain to Sound," which is the the first song on this uh, little EP. The, that start stop simple foundation that's built upon, and I love that final thirty seconds of the song too. The yeah. this is a band that knows how to how to how to sort of craft a fade, right? <laughs> how to bring all these disparate elements that they've presented in the first three minutes um, and really turn them inside out for the final thirty seconds, and they do it here on that one too. Uh, Chris mentioned, that, yeah, I think Daniel's voice is more his own uh, on this EP, no doubt about it. Um, and, and I think again, this is I think this 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 EP is the most fully realized sound that they would have before girls can tell. One of the things I like about the end of Mountain to Sound, and you mentioned his vocals there. Towards the end, if I remember right, he, he kind of starts harmonizing with himself, right? He's, he's on two tracks there. Mm-hmm. And you, you figure, like, with, if this had been Telefono, they would have had uh, the, the backup singer doing that, the, the, the female harmonizer there. In this one, it's, I don't know, if, because of the budget or because uh, he just has more confidence in his voice um, and what he wants to get out of the song. Right. Daniel's voice is coming in from multiple angles there. Right, right. That's just such a great brooding and powerful song. I love that one. And and I th- and I think you know I have to also agree with Scott that that this EP is a little bit better than their second album, which comes right after this. And and it's very you know again we we joke about this, like how can you pick a worst Spoon album? Well, I guess Chris can say that he doesn't really like Telephoto, but he's <laughs> wrong about that. I think it's a fine album. All right, but if I had a gun to my head and I'd say, well, what's the weakest? Spoon album. I think it might be the next one. A Series of Sneaks came out in 97, I believe. Um, this is 
when I say that, like this is not a bad album. There are songs on this that are just sort of legendary, legendary spoon songs, thirty gallon tank. I love uh, June's foreign spell. Actually, is probably my favorite song on the album. But, but if I have to tell myself, like you know, you know who what gets the chop? Well, you know, there's stuff like staring at the board, which is like you know, okay, like it's only a minute long, but it's clearly some sort of lo-fi thing. And lo-fi was really not where Spoon was headed, and it was not really where their soul was at. So some of the the minor squibs on this record are. Um, yeah, it, it, again, it, it, you can't even call it a disappointment because it's still like a B plus record. It's still good. There's the, the minor tough actually is another one that I love just because of that nagging guitar riff on it. on it though like i think you know there's a song like no you're not uh, it's probably as close to purely generic spoon as you'll ever find um and of course i have the version that has the bonus tracks on it so like i get to hear him like complaining about their record label guy <laughs> quitting on them the lafitte tracks that yeah. might be the best song that's the thing lafitte don't fail me now is that's a great it's an extremely graceful pop melody and and it it is literally like a i'm writing a song that could conceivably in an alternate universe a better universe be a top 40 hit and it's really good on the other hand you know hearing them kind of like crack on you know the the guy who quit the record label after signing them is uh you know a, a bit silly maybe you shouldn't really care too much about the lyrics of spoon songs the aftermath of promotion it's time to take the trash out and redefine what you are redefine what you're about you can't explain the attraction when everything gets so far away to abstraction they do it every day now all I But yeah, this is this is this is to me like you know the, if I had to choose one, my the, my least favorite of their records. I think I'm in agreement. There's one later. How dare maybe, you guys? And, Come on. And I, I think that Jeff picked up on something that I'll echo, which is um, there are some good ideas here on on some songs, and I don't know if they're developed as developed as they could be, should be. Even Thirty Gallon Tank, which I know people like a lot, that's a song I just I, I would have loved to have heard it one album later or, or two albums later. Mm. I think they do so much more with it. Oh, 
the songs on a series of sneaks to me aren't quite as individually uh, they, they don't stand on their own quite as much as their future songs would I mean every song on just Kill the Moonlight has this very specific vibe and very specific thing and the title you know exactly what that song sort of feels and sounds like and I don't get that from a lot of the songs on a series of sneaks uh, I, I think the vocals are, are buried a bit in places here on this album too or at least not as prominent as they should be or, or would be um, again, this is an uh, album full of really quick songs. I think only two songs are more than three minutes long, so you still have these very quick kind of chunky guitar slabs uh, being thrown at you. If there's one more influence that I hear here, uh, more so than the last album, but it's kind of a, almost a natural extension, uh, you know, guided by voices, those very, yeah. very, very quick uh, kind of jangly and again, still hooky. It's, it's, it's perfect, necess- perfect comparison, yeah. Nothing necessarily wrong with a lot of these tracks. I just don't think that they stand out quite as much as future songs would. Um, and they're still developing their sound. Um, they, they are confident, though. The confidence, and as, as Chris mentioned, kind of the swagger or the swag in Daniel's voice. And I think just that the band had all together. This was their major label swing. They had already sort of bottomed out on a, uh, on a minor, more minor label. Um, uh, and, and here they are on a bigger label, and they're, they're going to bomb out again. But they, <laughs> they don't sound that way. They sound very confident in what they're presenting to the listener. Uh, so... Yeah, well, I think it's hilarious. He stole my joke. I was like, well, you know, this that was this is the big beginning and ending of Spoon's major label <laughs> yeah. career. It wasn't even like old ninety sevens where they had three albums to try. No, this we were we were getting later and later in the nineties, and I think you know the, the executives were running out of patience. So Spoon had one bite. Yeah. It was series of sneaks, didn't sell, gone. Um, and they're, yeah, back, it, they're it, back to the indies. I mentioned metal. It didn't but- sell. It didn't sell because of people like you who don't appreciate it. Maybe if if more listeners had sophisticated tastes like me and understood the genius of this album, uh, you know, their career would have been more successful from, well, at least from 98 on. Well, then pitch us, my friend. We are are (laughs) all ears. So first of all, I'm really annoyed, uh, Scott, that you you brought up the Guided by Voices comparison because I was was really eager to make that (laughs) one. But yeah, this really does remind me of a Guided by Voices album because of the the quick bursts like that um, uh, of of the songs. And um, uh, the confidence, you can't really overstate just what a big difference that makes. Um, like with a song like Utilitarian, I just love that strutting guitar riff, and Daniels' uh, vocals are are cool right away. They're they're pretty much nonsense as far as I can tell, but uh, he says them with with such certainty. Uh, I, he pulls it off well. Calico. There are a number of tracks I just think are outstanding. Um, Utilitarian, the guest list slash the execution. Um, I love Thirty Gallon Tank. Uh, one of the third, one of the shorter tracks I really like is Car Radio. Um, Daniels is uh, sorry, Daniels' uh, vocal affectations here are really interesting. I get a kick out of them. 
uh, he he spends some time just going ma 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 uh, like he's talking about his generation or something, but he's talking <laughs> about his car radio. Um, and uh, maybe it's because I, I first discovered Spoon in a car radio. I, I appreciate that one. And then the last track, Advanced Cassette. I, I think that's a beautiful song. It's a great song, um, yeah. And it, 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 it's, uh, um, I think it's Advanced Cassette. That was a function that some uh, uh, tape decks had where you could just push the fast forward button. It would go to the end of the song, right? Um Oh, I always and, I'm just thinking about it from a from a label perspective. Yeah, I thought you know, it was industry jargon. Yeah, like, you, know, you get you it before the release. release. Oh, okay, that makes sense too, um, and is probably uh, more sensible. But oh well, I'm sticking with mine. Um, <laughs> it's because it's a, it's a song about relationships, uh, and I, I think it's kind of uh, yeah a song about uh, hearing a, a song that that he shared with somebody and has to skip it now. Um, uh, and either that's going on to the next girl or literally just going on uh, past beyond that song. I've always found that very I don't moving. know, Chris, I think, Chris, I think you might be convincing me on this one, actually. All right, nice. You'll know by the look on their faces when they pass you. You've been dropped off on the Texas highway. I've been out here now for so long that I'm not sure how you wound me so tight. I'm afraid I won't ever hear that sad song again So, don't tell me Andre, I guess that's, yeah. what, that's what he's doing. He's working on two two levels there. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I've I've always really enjoyed this album. It is, you know, not in the first class of their albums, but I I think it's their. I, I definitely think it's better than Telefono. Um, and there are a number of tracks. I, I I will say that it starts off very well. It does peter out towards the end, um, but I I think it's really quite solid. Well, so like like the soccer team in that that. Ted Lasso series, Spoon immediately got relegated back to the minor leagues um, <laughs> after their one shot on Electra, and then they put out another EP, and this is the one. Okay, so Scott said, "Okay, Jeff, you got to really try this, you know, the Soft Effects EP," and then uh, Chris was like, oh, "You know what, Love Ways, try Love Ways," and he was also right because this is a band where almost everything is worth hearing. This is this is an uh, an EP. Uh, that has maybe my single favorite Spoon song title in their entire career, which is "I Didn't Come Here to Die," <laughs> which I just I just love that as a phrase. Like, I, I, I'm, I didn't come here to die, baby. Uh, but it also has one of their best ever tunes that I just you know I despair of my final five at the end of the show, which is a jealousy. Jealousy is such a beautiful song, and now. You know, this is a two-man show. This is just Daniel and Eno, okay? You know, pianos, keyboards everywhere now. You know, all the go, all you know, guitars and bass, and then Eno is just on the drums, um, and they're self-producing too, by that for that matter. And they actually sound very good, in my opinion, for guys who aren't working with pros or you know, like you know, name producers or anything. They know what they want to sound like. They know what their style is. And uh, this, to me, is you know, just just you know, it 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 needs to be mentioned because none of these songs are on any of their albums. Mm-hmm. 
just go find it. It is really impressive stuff. Jealousy, you had never done a thing for me. Now you never done a thing for me. Jealousy, jealousy. about this is that they they didn't sound like this ever again it was like they were they were testing out different styles and approaches and if i remember right they they recorded this yes after they recorded girls can tell so that they were this was kind of a stopgap or a, a place filler while people waited for um uh girls can tell to to drop as they say but i don't think said back then um so yeah I, like i didn't come here to die it's a great song but it, it's much bluesier than anything they would had done to that point or would right. do again. I love that song, um, but it's it's just it's pure pop with a, a bouncy piano and kind of Phil Spector drums crashing back there, and a really jaunty guitar. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Whiskey Town. I had a song called Mirror Mirror a couple of years, or maybe yeah, maybe just a year after. That's, that. a, it sounds great, a, lot like that's a great comparison. That actually, but, uh, yeah. But they never they never sounded like this again. They no. didn't even they didn't even really try to. I love that. The video, by the way, is fantastic too. Very very funny. Um, so, and then, uh, figures of art is another great one, uh, on, mm-hmm. on this one, on this EP. So yeah, if, if any spoon fans somehow haven't heard this one, definitely check it out. You guys covered everything. I didn't come here to die as that great Bo Diddley beat the blues yeah. elements. It's not previously present, uh, and sort of opened the door to the, uh, the experimentation or at least the, the twists on the quote-unquote spoon sound that would come on on albums, the way that they'd find new textures and new techniques um, and, and new rhythms to to experiment with. That that's right there on on this one. And and you know Chris Chris is right. So this this Loveways EP was recorded either at, I think at the same time or just after Girls Can Tell, and and then, and then they released it first. 
before Girls Can Tell came out in February of 2001. I don't think it was because there was so much <laughs> built up desire demand, for spoon product. For spoon right? product, exactly. <laughs> I think it was kind of just making sure people knew they were still alive and making music before the next album was going to uh, is going to be released. And um, and boy, I guess we can go. But but what an this, album this is this, this is your is. moment, Scott. This is this was your first album, I believe, if I recall. So, you know, cue it up for us. Tell us about Girls Can Tell. And I'm gonna just start by saying this myself. This might be one of my two at the end. point forward could be one of our two at the end i mean that's just that's just how it is uh so that you know the, the, the last album the series of sneaks stiffs and uh, they get dropped by the major labels. so they, they flunked down to the minor labels they flunked down to the major labels and you know there's there's really some question about whether or not the band is going to continue in its in its form whether or not it's a viable thing and uh, Eno is I, I think already married at this time and he's working as uh, like an engineer i think uh, he's got a full-time job, and, and Britt Daniel moves to New York and is essentially you know, living on couches and picking up substitute teaching jobs here and there when he can and doing these odd things to make some money. He was essentially you know, dirt poor. But in his mind, there was never a question that there would be more music. And so he and Eno continued writing songs. He and Eno continued uh, recording and they would do it in a garage, and they they find ways. There's a story of them sneaking into, I think, the University of Texas uh, music department to record some of the piano parts on Girls Can Tell on the grand piano that was at the uh, the music program at the university. They, they didn't have a piano, but they did have some recording equipment and some uh, some guts, and so they snuck in and recorded some of these parts on Girls Can Tell. I seem to remember sometime there was an interview where like, it's like, yeah, we were recording the Kiwi and we were just really hoping that like the janitors and the security guards <laughs> would not find us. Which is it's just so perfect because this album doesn't sound like something that was recorded no. sneakily at all. It's so, so well, so self-assured. So, yeah. you, you know, think this this record is made essentially at night after people have done their have done their day jobs. There's no, they're not attached to any label uh, you know, Britt Daniels between jobs, uh, you know, between part-time things, between substitute teachings, trying to figure things out. And this, this is what they come up with. And it's fantastic. Uh, th- this is where, you know, 
if, if you think about the quote-unquote spoon sound, this is where it really begins to come to fruition. These lean, spare, spiky, extremely well-crafted songs, eliminating all but what is necessary for the song to work. And Daniel tells uh, the story he was listening to a lot of old music around this time. Old Motown, um, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk is one of the albums he was listening Hmm. to a lot during Writing Girls Can Tell. And the songwriting on here lives in this, lives in such a classic world of songwriting. It hits you immediately. Mm -hmm. Literally, this song, everything hits at once. That hits you. It's a modern version of like a Hall and Oates track. Okay, Ooh, nice. starts starts off like R and B almost. The drums are maybe a little bit louder than you would get on like you know Philly Soul. It's just so effortless. And then just when you think you've got it, you've got you know the hold of it. Boom, Mellotrons, Mellotrons everywhere. Where do these Mellotrons come from? It becomes something different halfway through, and it's the first song on the record. And right there, you know this band has taken a quantum leap forward. That's the key moment, that moment after, I think it's the second chorus there, where the decision is made, you know, guitar solo, uh, you know, bridge, uh, Mellotron. That's what's going to work here. And of course it does. And that everything hits at one song, that steady organ pulse, uh, the setting of the mood. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no real resolution to that song. The tension continues even as it mm-hmm. fades out. It's just a brilliant piece of songwriting. Yeah, this this was the I think this would would have been the first spoon song I heard, and the it's what kind of got my attention with the Elvis Costello similarity. Um, you know, pre-show uh, I emailed you guys and I said, you know, even that opening lyric is just sounds like something Elvis Costello would have written. <laughs> Don't say a word. The last one's still stinging. And then uh, Scott, you pointed out that uh, actually Elvis Costello did write that. Don't say a word. Don't say anything. Don't say a word. I'm not even listening. So watch your step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's just uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know how conscious that is, but uh, and that that driving. um, Yeah. You guys mentioned the the the, uh, Mellotron and coming in there. um, But then there's this this baseline, this almost like a James Bondy baseline over the course of Mm -hmm. the uh, song that that drives it as well. Um, It's just. It's effortless uh, fusion is what it yeah. is. It's it's like five different, you know, musical genres or ideas just thrown into the stew, but it doesn't sound like it's labored or like you're trying oh, it to sounds, do it. It yeah. just sounds very natural. And that's the entire 
flipping album. Yep. This is this is why girls can tell. And this is actually where they first became like true indie darlings. They had had some credibility prior to this. But the people heard this, an album recorded, as you said, like in basements, in stolen rooms at universities at night. And then this thing comes. And, you know, that's just, we've just talked about the first song. There are no, there are no bad songs on this record. Yeah. You know, they even throw in a cover, Me and the Bean. I don't know who, I've never heard the original. I don't think I ever need to because this, this version is awesome. So I assume it's better. Yeah. Me and the Bean was written by a guy named John Clayton. And I'm going to assume that's the ESPN football reporter. <laughs> that, would, that would that would be that that that, that has to be the right must answer, be yeah. Right? Um, I mean yeah, you're saying though, Chris. You, yeah, so can, can I jump to to maybe my favorite? Well, actually, let, let me look. Quickly. Let me guess. Is is it? Does it have anything to do with uh, button downs? It, it does. It does have something to do with button downs. The yeah, fitted shirt. Yeah. The fitted shirt is just so cool. It's just a cool song. Yeah. It makes you feel cool, but it's also it's it's uh daniels has said he was listening to the kinks when he wrote that song and you can tell because it's just kind of this very cool homage to the past um you know it's got this kind of i think john bonham's drum to it that that's i think the source of its coolness and its strength but it's also about longing for better times um in this case kind of represented by the fitted shirt you know that's the that's this song's village green um, the, the, uh, and he has kind of his, in his marbles in his mouth, uh, delivery sings about the, the kind of shirt his father used to wear and just the quality of, of that shirt and the fit. And then by the end of the song, he's saying, you know, someday they're going to make shirts like this again. I'm obviously, <laughs> uh, paraphrasing, but in the meantime, till then, I suppose I still got dad's clothes and that's all right. Been looking so long now. And no one's seen and no one heard But when I go out tonight I'm gonna put on a fitted shirt One day it'll take And they'll start to make Shirts that fit right Till then I suppose I still got dad's clothes that's all right. It took it took Mad Men to make this happen a few years later, but eventually the fitted shirt did come back in style. <laughs> it, it did, it did. I, my, it's so funny how close you, what you just said kind of mirrors my little notes here. I just said, this is like preternatural is the way I described this song. It's a song that, that Daniel can write in his sleep. Yeah, almost it feels, but it hits every single sweet spot that you want to hear. And then that chorus break on it, that's what breaks me. Is like where it, you know the instruments drop out, and then and then oh, um, on musical level and on a lyrical level, uh, this is where uh, it, it's 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 it, it's fitting to me that it comes right in the middle of the record mm-hmm. because it is the, the triumph of the record, and it's just like you yeah. know, sh- moving from strength to strength. Then you hit the fitted shirt, and by the way, every single song after that, you're gonna like it. I love oh, 10:20 yeah. a.m. Great acoustic yeah, number. Yeah, that's great. 
I mean, and of course, I just you know, opened the show with making a Chicago at Night joke. That that's such a wonderful song. And, and when I heard this album, I never thought I would actually be sitting in Chicago at night, uh, but here I am. But oh God, yeah, this is it. This is this is the moment they become themselves. Doesn't it also have a harpsichord in there? As you know, yeah. and th- that could seem a little bit overkill with the nostalgic a little twee, vibe. <laughs> but it doesn't—it doesn't feel twee in the slightest. It, it, you don't even it notice perfectly. it. Perfectly, yeah. you don't even notice it until you like listen for it because it's just sort of like so. Again, weirdly and effortlessly elemental. Like as yeah. I said, like their their second album was a little halting, so it's it's almost bizarre that you know after they get dropped and relegated back to the you know the indie leagues that this happens and never basically stops happening again uh yeah. f- fitted shirt which chris mentioned that's great the uh, the bottom sort of thing that's definitely a, a uh, when the levy breaks sort of swing yeah. to it and and that the, you know the riff is like a headbanging ozzy osbourne riff like that's just a banging riff yeah. the whole thing is uh, is taken from so many disparate elements mm-hmm. i look i love the fitted shirt too but I, I have to say my favorite song of the album is, I think, the one that comes right afterwards, Anything You Want. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. That's one of my favorite songs in their entire catalog. Um, you know, just the that, 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 that bass line that carries through the whole song. The, you know, dun 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 And those organ chords that are bubbling underneath. Doot, 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 doot. Gorgeous yeah. melody. It's one of those songs, and it's like 2.15, yeah. and I just think, why are you stopping? You just got started. It's so good. Why stop there? Just One of the things I love about the format of our show is that I know now that we don't have to just try to explain this verbally to people, because, insert clip here, you'll understand. <laughs> you'll understand now. You've heard it, and you understand why that song is so great. If there's anything you want. Imagination 
And then right I'm afterwards, a- there are a couple of great songs, and Chris has talked so much about the, the Elvis Costello comparison. It's almost like Take the Fifth. I mean, Take the Fifth could be a get happy outtake. It has that insane R&B motor uh, that Pete and Bruce Thomas provided on. Uh, on Get Happy. It's that same, same feel. Starts with that drum roll into a bass groove. There's hand claps. Um, man, Take the yeah. Fifth is a fantastic song on here too, Chris. that one um the the baseline at the start it actually i, I get the Cos- elvis costello reference it reminds me a bit of also going back to the jam solid bond in your heart um uh which i think was originally a jam song before uh style council did it um but it's got it's just a great soul song with a, a kind of hand claps and a chiming keyboard uh i agree with everything you guys said about uh anything you want as well and i would just add uh just just very quickly lines in the suit uh, fifth track on this album is a, is a pretty good song but um as i was boning up for this episode i realized uh, an inside joke in the lyrics that i had never noticed before i wonder if you guys noticed it before or, or what but um it, it has kind of these these uh it's a the lyrics are kind of a dry humor dry observations um uh, he says i'm listening to the comforting sound of some kind of work being done outside okay that's really not a comforting sound of sounds from next door. The walls don't hide. And then he says, I'm listening to mountain to sound and the way it's panned is cool. So that, that that's a reference <laughs> to his EP. I had never noticed before. So I guess I don't remember mountain to sound being panned. I thought that was actually, I, mean, I, I never, I never noticed that. Um, yeah, it completely it, slipped me. I think it's a, he mumbles those lyrics so much. It's easy to overlook, but yeah, I love that little self-referential and self-deferential humor. Mm. Um, but this, yeah, this album is just uh, fantastic. And I think it's, you know, came out in 2001. Jeff, uh, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show, about, you know, where Spoon was contextually and, and where rock was when they, when they were forming. And so 97 was kind of the beginning of the boy band and Britney Spears craze. And then it, that was petering out around now. And in 2001, um, people were really kind of all about the white stripes and the strokes, those were going to be the saviors of rock. And you kind of chose a side, one or the and, other. You, and, you could the like thing, them both. But. And the funny thing is, is that like the, the, the I remember so well, like, like the Pitchfork media types this is back when Pitchfork was actually still a, like a smaller local Chicago sort of a, a proposition as opposed to the, you know, sort of national music thing that it is kind of a punchline in some ways. Uh, they loved Spoon. All right. Yeah. The hip critics loved Spoon. Everybody loved Spoon. I mean, you know, for all of their influences, you know, there's the Wire, there's the Motown, the Kings, mm-hmm. the Melody, and all that. But they just, you know, 
they for some reason never sold and i think i know why they never sold i can listen to these records and love every second of them and also say well you know what i i don't hear like you know everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears <laughs> coming out of these people or like you know, head over heels or you know from that point i guess you know we're getting into the world of you know the teeny bopper pop and you know the the manufactured bands and such um but you, and, yeah there's on um, there's this one there's no last night there's no um, right. fell in love with a girl right no, exactly. Yeah, it's just such a shame. It, you know, it would have put the album right over the top if they'd yeah. had it. You know, and here's the thing. You know, like you know, uh, after this this fantastic record, all right. Uh, you know, they're they're one of these big triumphs. They they then the next year in 2002, uh, they they put out just a horrible album, a terrible blunder, a huge flop. No. I'm kidding. They never put out a bad album again. <laughs> Kill the Moonlight is almost as good as Girls Can Tell. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's quite as good, but I, we're talking about A-plus versus A. This is another fantastic album, and this is the part of the show where we're just going to be saying rotely over and over, great record, buy it, great record, buy yeah. it, great record, buy it. I actually prefer this one to uh, um, Girls Can Tell. Um, I, th I just think that the first four tracks, first five tracks are pretty much perfect. Um, and uh, Jonathan Fisk, just to pick one at random, I mean, that it's kind of actually most of the first songs on this album are kind of kinksy portraits of, of, of people and ways of life, like small stakes and the way we get by, which is, I think, the song Pete Buttigieg played on the piano. Um, <laughs> you can find that on Twitter. A vaguely uh, cringe moment, man. I've seen yeah. It. But, uh, uh, and then Jonathan Fisk, though, might be, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's kind of like the anti David Watts. Jonathan Fisk is apparently a guy he knew, uh, uh, that Daniels knew from high school. It's an actual name. And, and this song is just kind of a description of, of, of what a schmuck he is. Um, and one of the, I love one of the lines. I, I don't think Daniels and I would agree on much so politically. I'm surprised he didn't get sued for that. I I mean, well, it turns out they were friends. He, I heard him say in an interview that, that they, were, they were friends. I think they were even friends when he wrote this song. They get, didn't get along in school, but then afterwards they did get along. Um, and so apparently Fisk didn't have a problem with this and, or being mentioned in a later album. But there's there's this great line: "Religion don't mean a thing; just another way to be right right wing," which again, I don't think is true. But it's just a great line. Um, you got you got to tip your cap to a good couplet. Yeah, exactly. Such a long way home. 
I like this album better than Girls Can Tell, too. So Jeff will be the uh, the one raining on the parade as we praise yeah. Kill the Moon. No, I'm not raining on this parade. This is a fantastic album. I know. Uh, but, you know, from, from, from the sound perspective, you know, things are stripped even further here. There's a sparseness, a leaner, a tougher in places. Um, man, I mean, from the very first song, Small Stakes, right? Small Stakes is amazing. And there are a couple of songs like this on the album. If we, if we describe to you what this song is, you would say that that's not going to work. Uh, just vocal and organ and like weird tambourine shakes. And that's the thing. That's it. That's the whole enchilada. Yeah. And it works the way that small stakes, uh, much like, you know, the first track on the, on the last album, everything hits at once. Small stakes sort of builds and builds and builds and you expect something and then it retreats. Like you think it's going to explode, but then it, it, it totally fades. Uh, it doesn't fade out. It t- totally does away with everything except for, that organ, right? And maybe a little a little tinkle in the background of, of a tambourine. It is it is just the like the minimum needed to get this song across. A small town danger in your mid-sized car. I don't think the stripes, but I'll go for Hamar. The big elevation on the minimum wage is lines up your nose, but your life on the page to come on. And uh, going back to what Chris mentioned about the lyrics, there's a lyric in here that I didn't appreciate until um, two years ago, three years ago, when I saw Afghan Wigs in concert in, in Detroit. Harmar Superstar was the opening act for uh, Afghan Wigs. I'd never heard of Harmar Superstar, except I, I had because in Small Stakes, uh, Britt Daniels sings, I don't, di- uh, don't dig the stripes, but I go for Harmar. And he's not a big White Stripes fan at the time, although he later said he liked them starting with Elephant. Uh, but he liked Harmar Superstar, so go figure. Um, paper, I did not know that. P- paper Tiger, to me, is like the Rorschach test of maybe Spoon as a band and maybe of this album. Because much like Small Stakes, it shouldn't work. There's drumsticks and random beats and like back-sampled drums. There's a random little chord here or there how do you hold this song together with just those parts and not just hold it together but create something that is so elegant so powerful this is paper tiger is one of those songs that is so good it's it's like it's like hold your breath good until the very end it just sort of suspends you uh, until it resolves at the end um and, and you know it, it's just these very sparse minimal accompaniments i listening to it i know this is going to be a weird comparison i'm going to make it anyway you guys know the beginning of the twilight zone episodes where there's like there's a door just floating in space and like there's an eyeball and yeah. then something crashes and that's how right. I, like paper tiger is like it's just this song floating and things are happening uh, there's a drum stick and here's a crash and there's this and you're sort of suspended in this this environment that the song has created. I know it's a very odd way to describe it. Right. 
Or we could go kick out some doors together Stay out till morning, sharp as knives The new one will get you, it will not protect you But I will be there with you when you turn out the light So I will be there with you when you turn out the light And I will be there with you when you turn out the light You it's can... the intentionality of it for me, okay? Uh, first of all, I completely agree with what you're saying. But it feels like every one of those noises was uh, chosen. Yeah. Intentional. Yeah. They, yeah. they were all calibrated. Somehow, they figured out that, okay, if we put this little ding-dang, cling-clang clash here, it's going to create that atmospheric effect. And that's how it works. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, Paper Tiger, again, I think it's one... If if you listen to it on the whole, that's I, I get what they're doing. Then then this band is totally totally for you. Uh, there are a few moments like that on, on Kill the Moonlight, and then you have a more up tempo one. Jonathan Fisk is one of the more up tempo ones, certainly on here. Uh, don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you down. I was oh, about to say, yeah. The the ooze on that intro over the sparse guitar, and then you get that that bass figure, dum 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 dum, yeah, and the drums kick in. Uh, you you have those kind of open chiming Smiths esque uh, guitar chords in places, uh, the, and I, oh I love I love the, the again just putting things right where they should be. The piano that answers all the lines in the chorus. There's a line in the chorus. Yeah. The piano answers. Line of the chorus. Piano answers. Uh, don't let it get you down. It's one of the more fully realized sort of up tempo rock songs. Certainly on this record, but I think in their entire catalog too. say one not superb thing about this album i don't know if you gotta feel it is quite at the level of the other tracks here but other than that all one all one minute and 30 seconds right? I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's nothing right and i haven't even right. mentioned what uh, might be one of the songs that people know best from this album which is the way we get by and, and maybe uh i don't know maybe that Jeff was the pete buddha judge one. one i yeah. believe yeah right. oh, that's, oh no yeah. Kristen, you're right sorry about that yeah yeah yeah, so, no. I mean, I, I can... Well, go ahead, uh, Scott no, or no, Jeff, no, no. do you want to talk more about Chris. that? Or, yeah, I yeah, I mean, anyway. I, I think I was talking before about how the, the early tracks are just kind of scenes of everyday life and or or particular ways of life. And the way we get by is just, it's kind of a bleak portrait, as as great a song as it is, but it's just kind of a, a description of kind of a a, a bleak if, or a kind of, I guess, fun, but kind of empty way of life. We get high in back seats of cars. We break into mobile homes. We go to sleep to shake appeal, never wake up on our own. Um, 
that that lyric doesn't sound right. We go to sleep to shake a peel. That's what I found online. But he kind of he garbles <laughs> through that one. But um, but it's it's the first few tracks really just have this great swagger to it. And and with the way we get by the the piano, it starts off with piano, but then it the there's a piano solo later on. Um, starts off just piano but then it really picks up as the drums and bass uh join in so it's a, it's a really fun song um it's a cool song but it's the uh, as with so many of the ones early on it paints kind of a, a bleak pit picture why I think the second half of the album is so moving. There are just a lot of beautiful songs to close out the album, like Don't Let It Get You Down, and then um, Vittorio E, which is just kind of like the spare acoustic number and, and uh, Brit's, Brit's voice being especially fragile there. The, the progress of the album is, is really powerful and effective. I um, have, for like a very long time, I mean, I guess probably since back 2002, 2003, or whatever, thought of this in... in I have associated in a way that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to people, but it feels like it's the David Bowie's Hunky Dory album of Spoon's career. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I'm not hey, Listen, I'm, my brain is stupid. I don't know what it means sometimes <laughs> myself. But I think what I always, why I always associated those things together is because I think of this as sort of like the fun rollicking piano pop record yeah. of Spoon's career. And and it's funny, one of the songs that I think of most most closely I associate with that is one that no one's mentioned yet, that I myself adore, and that's Someone Something, which mm. comes right in between Paper Tiger and Don't Let It Get You Down. This is a great album, people. This is a great band. Um, it's just such a, such a consistent record. But yeah, like this, all this heavy, you know, yeah, I think of when I think of Hunky Dory and Bowie, I think of like, oh, you pretty things, or life on Mars changes, or, or maybe even the Ziggy era where you have like, you know, five years and stuff like that. Very keyboard based. And, and it's funny to think about how Spoon started off as this very guitar heavy Pixies kind of imitator. And now, like, it, it seems in a weird way, like, like the most important instrument in the band is no longer guitar yeah it's it's keyboards and however they're played in whatever way they are and so the the thing about we we keep emphasizing the consistency of spoon and how spoon always sounds like spoon but the thing is and and i think scott pointed this out in our show notes none of these albums really sound like one another it's not repetitiveness they're always doing something a little different Mm -hmm. so kill the moonlight isn't like girls can tell certainly isn't like Telefono or a series of sneaks and it certainly isn't like what comes next either they get you where you live. 
And for a long time, and I think even as I began to uh, listen for this episode, I still wasn't sold on Gimme Fiction as an album. Um, you know, we've mentioned, we'll mention this uh, again and again and again, right? There's no bad albums here. I did not embrace Gimme Fiction on release uh, the way I have some of the other albums. I've come around a little bit on it as uh, I got through prepping for the show. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's not as... Uh, what do I say? You know, some of these songs, they're longer for one, right? I mean, there, there are a couple of songs here that are, that are closing in on five minutes. It's a bigger sound. Yeah. This, this album is an incredibly self-indulgent 44 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> you know, it, it's just as bad as Melancholy and the Infinite Sound. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. It's crazy length on, on, on Give Me Fiction. Uh, but you know, there's, there's a there's a bigger sound. There's a more fully fully fleshed out song uh, sound here than 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 on uh, Kill the Moonlight. And as we said, each of these albums is really different. They, it, you know, there's a spoon sound, but they are doing something different on virtually every single one of these albums. And uh, and give me fiction. There there are bigger guitars. I think some of these songs probably sound pretty. I, I I've never seen Spoon Life. I've never seen. I'm saying that uh, to myself. I've never seen Spoon Life. I would imagine some of these songs sound really good live because they are kind of big uh guitars to the front of the mix kind of four four straight ahead uh rock uh on gimme fiction in, in in a lot of places uh beast and dragon Wait, it, it, go ahead chris scott if, if i can interject i have seen them live only once and i saw them i think in 2003 or so for uh the the um uh kill the moonlight tour and uh so gimme fiction hadn't come out I knew most of the songs they played, but one of the songs I had never heard before, and it, it blew me away. It, it hypnotized me. It was, it was a longer song, but it had just this really, as I guess, typical of Spoon, just a, a hypnotic and driving rhythm that carried me the, the entire way. But again, it was longer. It, was, it sounded bigger than anything they had done before. So after the show, I approached... Um, one of the one of the guys in the band, uh, I don't think it was Brit or or uh, the Le- you know the lesser, um, but and I said I, I said uh, so hey what was that song uh, that kept talking about uh, pumping the brakes and I just made generally made a fool of myself trying to describe this this song uh, and he said uh, I guess he said my mathematical mind I don't think I remembered the name at the time but when Gimme Fiction came out I heard that song and oh finally this is it. going to make my top five list i i love this song um and i i was initially disappointed by the album i think i i wanted more of the same more of kill the moonlight and this definitely is not it but i quickly got over that disappointment in large part because of my mathematical mind but um 
just so many of the songs there's there's a lot of great range here but um you know i was talking about the the john uh, uh bonham drums mm-hmm. of of the fitted shirt there's a lot more of that on this album and and it really uh uh, really captured this album, or that element of the a- album captured me. Well, on, See, on Beast- there are so many different views on this record. I think of this as their very minimalist record in some ways, and maybe the reason that I think of it that way is because the songs from it that have stayed with me the longest, which come near the end, are so quiet. My mathematical mind is fantastic. As again, Sister Jack, I summon you, the, the Beast and yeah. the Dragon, all great. Two sides of Monsieur Valentine, but for me, I think of Something like uh, they never got you, and I'm always a sucker for an ascending chord progression, and this has that plus just such like a wonderfully minimalist groove. Cause they never got you. is so simple and repetitive it's hypnotic and this is a band that was named after can's record label and then on was it you that's the closest they ever actually got to can just like a simple rock simple drum beat that keeps you focused on it and hypnotized on it um but again it's such a spare album and that's what stays with me there's piano chords and there's drums Mm -hmm. and there's light percussion like on merchants of soul that's a great song such a good song it's the song that ends the album uh and there is barely guitar on search merchants of soul i think it's like maybe just some some decorative stuff in there and yet it sounds exactly like a classic spoon song should it's a brick by brick construction right and then there's strings added on top there's these punchy piano chords these snare explosions that is such a percussive song merchants of soul it is such an, an an eno song uh, the way that he's able to command uh, that drum kit on Merchants of Soul. It's the last song on the album, and it is absolutely one of my favorite songs on the album. Might, I don't know, it might make, it might make my top five at the end of the episode. I was a
My Mathematical Mind is also great. I got to go with my Bowie, uh, with Jeff's Bowie comparison in the last album. I don't know how you listen to Beast and Dragon Adored Not Here Five Years. Uh, it's the mm, absolutely, yeah, of same, course, yeah. I mean, that, that drum, uh, not even just right. the drum during the song, but the way that drum, you know, continues and carries and fades at the end of the song. Very, very Bowie-esque. And that's that's a really good song. Beast and Dragon Adored, the first song, uh, kicks off the album. That is really good. And it's one that I think he wrote, the. it's the last one he wrote for the album, which is why he was able to reference all these song titles to come uh, in the lyrics of Beast and Dragon Adored. Um, the single here, again, people know a song that don't know Spoon very much, I Turn My Camera On, which, that's just a fun song. It's a little Prince. It's a lot. It's a lot. Magnificent Seven from The Clash. There's a lot of that in uh, I Turn My Camera On, but just an insistent groove. And Britt Daniel in that upper register falsetto doing his best, you know, Mick Jagger-esque falsetto. Uh, it's a good it's a good single. Well, I turn my feelings on. I turn my feelings on the side. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna ignite. I saw them stars go off. I saw them stars go off at night. and sometimes almost like outright plagiaristic like R&B and soul nicks on this yeah. record mm. um, like uh, you know was Infinite Pet I mean come on that is literally the Green Onions Booker T keyboard groove on that song they're just literally doing that and uh, you know they get away with it because they do change it up a little bit <laughs> but they're also just like remember this is the band that started off as like you know like, you know guitar shredding pixies people and now they're just you know we're we're gonna get tracks later on in their career where you know he's singing purely in falsetto and it's like a straight up Prince cop and and those yeah. are great songs too by the way we'll get there when we get there but yes it's just this is the the moment where everything just gets so wonderful I, I don't want to move on though until I know that Chris has said everything he needs to say well well thank you well, yeah a couple more things um. Uh, yeah, I turned my camera on. I'm, I'm glad you guys talked about that. But yeah, it was such a, I think really their first deep dive into soul, um, and they would explore that a lot, a lot further in in um, Hot Thoughts. Uh, but it, it really emphasizes his falsetto. With you know, you hear it in and out in a lot of other songs, but this one, I, he just goes full falsetto, and I think it works. I think that one took a while for to to really uh, for me to really appreciate that song, but mm-hmm. I, I really do now. Um, uh, and Sister Jack is uh, one of my favorites. It's just kind of a classic pop song. Um, Daniel said once that uh, as he was writing it, it was veering too close to power pop, which I don't think is a bad thing, um, but he did. So uh, he uh, decided to, to steer it away from that direction by messing with the guitar solo and really just having kind of an especially distorted um, anti-pop solo. Uh, so much more distorted and noisy, uh, noisier than you'd get from your average power pop song. Uh, but uh, I uh, still doesn't ruin the song for me. I'm a huge power pop fan. Um, now, what is power pop? I don't know, but but this sounds pretty close to it to me. 
And this was featured, if I'm remembering correctly, on an episode of the OC. So oh. you know it was a big deal. Yeah. Um, and my so, you know, so you know it's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And my mathematical mind was featured in a bunch of movie trailers too. So uh, they were, uh, you know, that doesn't make them good songs, but it does uh, indicate that they, they were kind of, they had entered pop cultural consciousness at last, finally. Um, and then, uh, Jeff, just seconding what you said about They Never Got You. I love that song. Um, it's, it's one of their it's most... So, it's so like almost like stupidly simple in a way. Uh, like yeah, any, any, anybody could write that, but you didn't. Yeah. And I didn't. They did. Well, he did. It, it, and then it, we just have to admit it. it. It has like that opening Motown beat that almost sounds like Maneater. Um, and then the, the building guitar progression. Um, and he, Daniel says that, that this reminds him of a, of a John Lennon solo song. Um, and, and he said, which I don't really hear, but he also compares it to Motown songs. And he said um, that he's disappointed with it. He doesn't think it really turned out very well. And they, they, they had he, done this one later. They could have done it better, but well, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think excellent. they could have improved it. And I think he's thinking of songs like I Know, I Know, uh, which is like an obscure album track off of yeah. Mind Games or something like maybe even Instant Karma. Uh, I can I oh, yeah, a I little, little yeah. vibe of that, too. Uh, but you know what, it, Scott, are, do you have anything more to say or shall I just, you know, spring the biggest punchline on the listeners to date? Go ahead. The biggest punchline is, is that we've praised all these albums, but guess what? We're uh, two thirds of the way into the show, and now this band comes out with what is arguably <laughs> their greatest record. This is an album that is called Ga 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 Ga, and every time I say that, I have to count it off my fingers like I'm a <laughs> child, like like a toddler, like my son. Uh, five Ga's, Ga times five, uh, and I, you know, I think that comes from like a, a working title from one of the early songs. Well, it's it's the uh, noise and the ghost of you lingers. The the noise, yeah. the, the the piano. Oh, the ga, ga, yeah. ga 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 Yeah, the the, the way the piano sounds. By the way, you know. Tipping my hand, top five at the end of the show. Um, this is uh, is as as hard as as it is, and as understandable as it is that you know people would pick different Spoon albums as their best album. This is, I think, all three of us will put this one on our list at the end of the show. Maybe we don't all agree that it's the best one, but uh, we'll say it's at least in the top two. And it's just miraculous. Again, how, you know, they started in 94, 93, 94. Now in 2007, after just like a string of fantastic records, now they're putting this out. Um, I want to let you guys start. Because it's such a good song, but a good album. But from Don't Make Me a Target to Black Like Me, um, there isn't a single single second of this 
I, I would I would change. Not even the cover. Even the cover, Don't You Ever, is a cover. I didn't realize it was a cover yeah. forever because it just sounds like another Spoon song. It's so good. Objectively perfect in a way that you know I can maybe there are 10, 20 albums that I can name off the top of my head that have the same level of perfection. I don't have any criticisms. Even even the underdog. I said I was gonna make fun of the underdog, but I only hate the underdog because it was the one song that got played on the radio when everything <laughs> else on this record was just as good, if not better. You guys have at it. It's perhaps uh, it's perhaps the best album of that decade. Uh, I, I haven't done a, a total audit of the 10 years from 2000 or 2001 to 2010, whatever it might be. I but... think Radiohead might want to disagree with you on that I know, one, but, but you're it, a giant but, but Radiohead fan. You know what? The thing is, you've got a really good argument. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's start to finish breathtakingly good. The attention to detail on every single song, these little things all over add up. Uh, to make this what it is, uh, it's an album in a true sense too. I, I, I think Spoon from from early on had a a good idea of what an album should be, and, and Jeff talked about sort of the efficiency of uh, you know the thirty five, thirty eight, forty one minute album. But they, I think they also understand how uh, something how how an album should flow, how songs should sort of lead to one another, and, and it, it it doesn't work any better than on this record. Um, there are so many highlights. It's all highlights. Let's. It's all highlights. Um, don't make me a target. The first song. First of all, I, I think they missed, of course, a money making opportunity to to sell out to uh, to Target uh, the store. You know, come meet me at Target. Come meet me at Target. <laughs> they didn't do it. I guess uh, the money wasn't enough. Perhaps. Uh, but well, the, I, the title, the title, literally said, "Don't make me a target." So it might have been a tough sell for the the suits. You, you, you change the lyrics around; it's no big deal. Uh, it's another one. It's another one of those ascending chorus things where it's yes. just, you know, you can't deny it. I dare you. I just dare you to deny it with that descending chord progression that any old fool could write. But you didn't write it, and I didn't, and he did. He never claimed to say what he says. He smells like the inside of closets upstairs. The kind will nobody go.
I didn't. I actually, I mean, I've listened to this album. I don't know how many times. I, I did not realize that you know at least a couple songs here are like anti-Bush songs. I just yeah, I, it had never occurred to me. I think Dan Foster actually pointed yeah. it out to me the first time. And don't make me a target is one of them. I think uh, the opening line is you know, from Lone Star. My State mathematical and, mind was too from from Gimme Fiction. Yeah, um, and, but, but they, they, so it was like the underdog, right? Right. Underdog. Yeah, the underdog is the other one. Yeah, it's I, I love I love all those anti-Bush songs, even even though uh, I wasn't anti-Bush, um, because they're not they're not so overt. I mean, he he writes the politics into the songs pretty subtly. Um, but yeah, don't make me a, a target when when you realize uh, that that's what it is. It does become the the lyrics do become pretty obvious. Uh, I think there's a reference to what nuclear pricks or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, accents. He makes fun of uh, certain accents too, which I assume was a reference to Bush. But um, but I still that think comes, the lyrics. That comes from Austin, Texas, and I know that's just, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. He, he refers to parking lot towns. Um, which I, I assume I, I don't know if Mid, what Midland, Texas is like, but um, but I just, that that song, just the buildup in the song is is so powerful. It's just this inevitable progression over the course of this song. It just feels unstoppable, unstoppable and inevitable, um, and especially in the last couple of minutes when you, you you get these hand claps coming in and the piano really starts going. It's it's such a, a the, really, the Beast and Dragon Adored and Don't Make Me a Target are such perfect opening tracks that really pull you into the album albums effectively. I want to leave some of the middle of the album for you guys to talk about, of course. But that, that flipping rhythm on Don't You Ever is just kills me every single time. It's just a great, I mean, like R&B track. I, I must talk about how this album ends i i think the last four song stretch i like the underdog a lot my little jeopardy cigarette case you know we talk about uh simplicity i mean this is a three uh three sentence lyric repeated i think four times and that's it and you get these shifts the funny thing about it is it the funny thing about it is that it sounds like sort of exotic without sounding like you know, cliched <laughs> Japanese like you know they're talking about my little Japanese cigarette case so there's something about the chords and the, the melodic development that has a, 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 a sort of a, a choppy regimented sound but again it completely skirts cliche yeah. uh, just how do they do it? last two songs finer feelings mm-hmm. and black like me uh, our friend God. terry terry teach out uh, a couple of years ago at this point i think a couple of years ago had asked uh, for suggestions for songs from the decade you know the best songs of the decade of the aughts that he had just he had never heard and i suggested i believe both of these because they both should be on a list like that finer feelings and black like me back to back is one of the finest closes to any yeah. any 
album. Uh, you know, finer feelings talking about uh, sometimes I think that I'll find a love, one that's going to change my heart, and I'll find it in commercial appeal, and then this heartache will get chased away. Uh, he saw, the I think, the Memphis commercial appeal, this, this, yeah. this newspaper, and thought it was a weird name for a newspaper. And uh, wrote essentially just wrote about it, and you know you're gonna find love in the in the personal pages of the commercial appeal. Uh, another Bowie here, right? That 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 acoustic guitar break reminds me of Space Oddity, right? Where you sort of hmm. have that that acoustic uh, strum to to break the sections off of, of the song. There are there's a point where you think the song's gonna collapse on itself, and then the rhythm returns for that play out. Lean bass, tight drums. surpassed only in quality by what comes next, which is this amazing album closer, Black Like Me, with this hauntingly great lyric delivery, great line, great lyric, great delivery. I'm in need of someone to take care of me tonight. And the way that the the narrator and Daniel, the, the, the vocalist, works through just essentially that line through the course of the song just grabs you, just totally grabs you. You get to the end, there's that, that call and response in, in, in the uh, in the closing minute or so where, you know, all the weird kids up front, yeah, tell me what you know you want. Oh, yeah, someone to take care of tonight. Um, and, and then it ends, it ends in, on the sustaining piano chord uh, that sort of sits there for a bit. And there's a, there's a recognition, a recognition that you need time to absorb what you just heard. And so you have about... Uh, was it 12 seconds, 15 seconds worth of essentially silence. There's a couple of studio noises and clicks in the background, but you just sit there after this concluding one-two punch of finer feelings and black like me and sort of marinate in what you've heard and experienced. It is unbelievably powerful. I can't start listening to this album without finishing it, and I can't stop, I can't finish it without essentially being still for a while it, it mm-hmm. this this album is so powerful and it's so well done and again i just think it's perhaps the greatest album of that decade i believe to someone take care of me tonight all oh, as i'm looking out at you
I mean, I, 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 I can not quite agree with that, but I can, I can credit your argument and say, all right, well, mm, uh, you have a right to your opinion. You're not just crazy. You said you would leave the middle of this album to the rest of us. I am not going to, to chew it all up and swallow it out. Actually, the beginning of this album is just as good as the ending of this album. And then I realized to myself, I was like, well, the middle of this album is also just as good. It's like, <laughs> oh, wait, that's because everything on this album is that good. But, you know, like one song that jumps out of me is Rhythm and Soul mm-hmm. with yeah. misspelled. It's just so brisk. It hops around. It just jumps around with you. It's, you know, I think for me, the, like the overwhelming takeaway the people who listen to the show will be hearing songs, so they'll actually get a sense of it. But imagine you were only hearing us talk. The way I would try to characterize it is that this is actually a lightness to this mm-hmm. album. That outside of like, I think you know, um, yeah, I'm, you know, maybe maybe the ghost of you lingers. It's got that really kind of angry, you know, staccato, re- repetitive piano thing. Mm-hmm. But everything on this album is just almost it wants to float away. In, a, in the most beautiful possible sense of that term, nothing about, about it feels like dreary or dirge-like. What about, what about so, that break? What about that break in Cherry Bomb when everything drops except for the, like the God. xylophone and the hand claps? Don't you want to just like yeah. f- you like float I, away? I, it's just I, amazing. You guys, you guys. Yeah, I told you before we started the show. It's like you know, if I have to pick top five songs, I could pick five songs just from this album. I could pick like Don't Make Me a Target, The Ghost If You Lingers, Cherry Bomb. I could pick Rhythm and Soul, Black Like Me, Finer Feelings. I, it's just whatever. There's just so much to love here. And there's nothing. They, they, they even threw out like a bonus EP. My, my When I bought it back in the day, they threw out like a little bonus disc. It's basically just like instrumental tracks. And they yeah. called it like Get Nice, which is clearly a play on Get Happy, yeah. right? With the exclamation point and everything. And even that's good. It's just like instrumental grooves. It's not serious stuff, but even that's good. So listen, I'll I'll let Chris have the floor here because you could talk about every song, or you can just uh, you know take it all globally and say buy this album. Well, I would definitely say buy this album. Um, but diving into a couple of songs you guys already mentioned, but I just want to uh, emphasize how outstanding they are. You got your cherry bomb. It's got to be one of the two best songs with Cherry Bomb in the title, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, I know. I always think, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I, was like, I enjoy that album, that song so much, and then, oh, yeah, John Cougar Mellon yeah. Camp, for God's sake. Uh, hey, I let, okay, anyway. Uh, I'll let I'll let you uh, hash that you, you, out with you, Scott another time, but but uh, you, you sure you sure you don't want to d- divert the podcast to like a really long defense? <laughs> Finally get John. you guys where I want you. Mellon Camp? Is, um, but nah. You Got Your Cherry Bomb is just, as you were saying, it, there's a lightness to so many songs on this album, and I think this is just a great example. Back from the spirit bomb
Soulful, very, very soulful, uh, but it's fun, it's light. Um, this and the underdog are really dominated by horns, um, but in, in this one, the horns are kind of accompanied by, uh, I guess it's a Mellotron, is, is, is that right, Jeff, or would this be, uh, um, is it perhaps a vibraphone? I don't know. I'm I have guess to look it up. I actually yeah. don't know the answer myself. Um, and then Daniel's voice alternates between falsetto and then his, his regular voice. Uh, over the course of the song where as a kind of like a call and response with himself and it's a it's a great technique um and then there's uh i guess we have to talk about the underdog which which i really do like but um it is i know of all the songs with uh commercial appeal on the album uh this is this is probably the number one one um Again, it's, it's, got, it's, it's got a really nice assured horn chart. You yeah, know, it's it's very, you know, I guess you know as close as close to like mainstream commercial as they ever came. But even here, although I just you know earlier said like it was my least favorite song on the album, but that's just because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a hipster poser. It, it's not yeah. a bad song. You are, you are required to dislike this song because it's the the first one they played, I think, on on SNL that year. So, but yeah, I just the the horns on this song really. You, you heard horns earlier on the album with. Uh, you got your cherry bomb, but here uh, they really dominate even uh, more dramatically, and they hadn't really done that in, in any other album. So it's still distinctively spoon, but as we've been saying throughout this conversation, they're still bringing in new elements to their sound and 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 refining what they're up to. It can all be wet and cake. It can all be boiled away. I try, but I can't let go of it. Can't let go of it. Black Like Me, uh, I, I'm totally on board with what uh, Scott said. And if I, and if I can just um, emphasize how good the, the lyrics are, um, he, he plays with this image, this recurring image, street tar and summer will do a job on your soul. Um, in the first verse, that's, um, it's a reference to his, his boots because mm-hmm. they need mending and he can't walk home. Um, so street tar and summer will do a job on your soul. And then as, as the song progresses, street tar and summer, they play a trick on your soul. He's not talking about shoes anymore. He's talking about, I, I, I think this is another reference to nostalgia. Um, I, I don't know. There's something about street tar to me in the summer that re- makes me five years old when <laughs> I was actually living in Chicago. And uh, I put myself in, in that situation whenever these, these lines come up. Um, it's just it's on one hand kind of a it's a risky move because it's the soul soul pun is kind of lame, mm. but he separates it over a couple of choruses. It works out really well. It's it's very effective, um, it, and his voice is so vulnerable in this song. It it really is is so powerful because of that vulnerability. So, you know, uh, three years later, after Ga 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 Ga, 
an album that received universal acclaim. In fact, you know, one of the things you do when you when you sort of read up and research for these episodes is you you go to Wikipedia, right? And I think they pointed out that like the, this is like the only band that had like seven consecutive albums that were related as universally acclaimed on um um not not a not like Rotten Tomatoes, but what? Oh, what's it's the, a uh, Metacritic or Metacritic. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, here's here's where their winning streak ends. This is their they fall flat on their feet. This is the big collapse. No, I'm kidding. It's another fantastic <laughs> friggin' album. <laughs> Transference. This is what I meant, man. He's just like I don't. Look, there, I have the bonus tracks on this. The bonus tracks, which they didn't even intend to put on the album, are almost as good as the stuff that's on the album. And there's nothing on the album. My favorite, my favorite song on this album actually is instrumental, which is hilarious. It's called "I Saw the Light." Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it, it's a sweet. It, it, it leads into yeah. the song that comes right after it, "Trouble," and they they really are kind of a two part proposition. Um, but they're both great songs. Who makes your money? I saw the light trouble. Good night, Laura, which is like almost like trad in a weird way. Again, here they are. They're doing they're doing new things. They're doing different things, and they're still not making any mistakes. Can I uh, can I push back, as they say, a little bit? <laughs> sure. Um, I, this is it, it, it's not a bad album, but I do think it's um, it, I, it's I only it's only one of their B albums. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think yeah. one of the Gimme Fiction, I was initially disappointed because it, it didn't sound like Kill the Moonlight, but I quickly got over it. This one, it, um, I still struggle with this one. Um, it has a lot of great tracks, but I think why it doesn't work as well for me in large part is because it just... I, I talked before about how good their opening tracks generally are or have been in the and past you don't, few albums. You, you don't like Before Destruction. I, I like mm. it, but and I like His Love Forever, but I don't like them back-to-back tracks one and two. Mm, um, mm. The first song I really like is The Mystery Zone. Um, there's kind of this 
Which uh, I think was named after the Springfield Mystery Zone from The Simpsons. That is my theory, and I have, <laughs> I have no, I have no idea Stand whether by. that's right. Yeah. But I just remember that famous the baseball episode where, like, you know, yeah. Homer at the bat, uh, where Ken Griffey, I think, falls. No, not Ken Griffey. It's Ozzy Smith who accidentally falls into the Springfield <laughs> Mystery Spot or something like that. Yeah, because Ken Griffey uh, had gigantism. That's why he. Had <laughs> yeah, the from drinking year. from drinking the old school tonic. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> um, but, but it's a great song, yeah. Yeah, Mystery Zone is great. Really, um, I don't know. A little has kind of a, a spooky air to it, but um, and and it's one of their longer songs. It's it's five minutes long, um, but that's really the first song that that pulls me in. Um, Who makes your money is 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 great. Kind of a I don't know. I don't know if it's a tell off song or what, but it's it's just kind of a, a cool it's line. It's a too. slower burn for spin yeah. than normal too. Yeah, even though yeah, it's that's a right. brief song, but I, that's what I like about it. Oh. track for me on this one is got nothing um and uh the actually i really like the last two tracks got nothing is uh i you know i struggle to describe these songs sometimes but I, I, let me let know, me help you it, yeah um, go for it so this is we have in spoon a band where there's a guitar player and a singer and a drummer and that makes it the core of the band and we have not compared them yet to another band from the exact same time made up of a singer songwriter uh, singer and a drummer, and that's the Black Keys. So, yeah. got nothing for me is Spoon doing their best Black Keys, essentially. I Interesting. Think that, that's, yeah. that's also the White Stripes, if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. You know. You know, Meg White and Jack White. Yeah. Oh yeah. Drummer, yeah. singer, songwriter. Yeah. Yep. It was maybe maybe more common format than we realized. <laughs> Everyone getting on board. Transference is an album that I just I don't think about that often. And yeah. um, it just gets it, it gets lost a little in the greatness of Spoon is really what it comes down to. This is, you know, it's a, it's a little dirtier, it's a little rougher, it's a little buzzier than the past couple of, of albums. They self-produce this. They go away from uh, the, the formula, quote-unquote, that have been working so well. They self-produce. And about half these songs are in in, in demo form, essentially just the, the demos they made uh, onto the album with, with some accoutrements. And there are a couple places where it works. I think Goodnight Laura, which is essentially demo, it's really piano mm-hmm. and vocals. I think that works well. But the one before it, uh, Trouble, Come, Trouble Comes Running, is again a demo, very low five for Spoon. They hadn't really done that since Sneaks, I think, right? And um, I, I don't think it works all that well. I don't know if there are as many super standout tracks as we're used to as well, where, yeah. where, they, where everything fits together. The hook is there. Uh, the, the arrangement's there. Uh, I do like um, 
I like the mystery zone. It's maybe the most spoon-like in that great rhythm foundation. And, and there's one called Written in Reverse, which I yeah. I have written down here. It's kind of a blessed mess is is the way oh. I describe it. There's there's just all sorts of things going on. Um, there's, there's this guitar freak out that, that sort of gets toward the close. There's a, there's a false ending before it comes back for one more uh, chorus. I'm writing this to you in reverse. Someone better call her first. I can see it all from here, from just a few glimpses. Now that light bulb's gone on, and it's pulling my wits. Now the light bulb's gone on. I've seen it in your eyes, but it's nothing there. It's nothing there. I wanna show you how I love you. I can see you blankly stare. Great lyric. Uh, I want to show you how I love you, but there's nothing there. That's a good lyric. You know, Britt Daniel's not... Britt Daniel is more of a, a, I guess, a couplet guy than a lyric guy, generally, right? Yeah. He'll, he'll co- sort of come up with these great pair of lines that, that stick out in your mind. That's one of them here on Written in Reverse. Um, but there's just a lot that sort of flies by here. And, uh, and again, I think the best way to describe it is... Look, it's a good album. As Jeff said, it's like a B album. But I just, I just don't think about transference a lot when I think about listening to Spoon. Yeah, actually, I, I, I actually don't think it's a B album. I think it's more like an A minus or a B plus plus album. And I think the way I would describe it is, it's an album that's thick around the middle, and maybe a little bit skinny in front and back. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is that I think that the best stuff is not that you, you know, Chris pointed this out. The first two songs, they're good. They're not bad. Of course, there are, are they very, well, again, their most recent album, there are a couple songs I genuinely don't like. It's the first yeah. time I've felt that way about a Spoon album. Um, but uh, Before Destruction and His Love Forever aren't great. But from Mystery Zone all the way to Out Go the Lights, which we hadn't mentioned yet, that's the middle of this album. It's from you know, tracks three through like eight or nine. And that's wonderful. And I don't know if I think that the, the ending, I, I've never been a huge fan of Got Nothing or Nobody Gets Me But You, um, but that middle section is wonderful. I, I actually, I like Trouble. I don't know I don't know what, what Scott's talking about when he says he's not a fan of that. <laughs> Who Makes Your Money, Written in Reverse, I Saw the Light, Good Night, Laura. I mean, this is, maybe it's a, maybe it's a structural issue. Maybe the reason that you yeah. don't like this album as much as you might otherwise is because they didn't sequence the songs correctly. And if they had done that, maybe you'd think this was, you know, just as good as say, you know, girls, you know, girls can tell or something like that. Picture yourself set up for good in the whole of the life. Mm-hmm. Mystery zone. Make us a house, some faraway town where nobody will know us well. Where your dad's not around. And all the trouble you look for all your life, you will find it for sure. In the mystery zone.
I just genuinely dislike written in reverse, and I tend to skip that one. How and weird. I, yeah, that's, I'm surprised you guys like it as much as you do. Um, but it, Goodbye. I mean, hey, you know what? Thank you for joining us on Political <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Um, but there are a lot of longer songs on this album, now, now that you mention it. So I mentioned Mystery Zone being nearly five minutes. There, it looks like there are four songs that are over four minutes. That's got to be, it's still not a long album, but, but that's, that's kind of stretching it for them. Uh, which, by the way, tells, like tells you, again, tells you a lot about Spoon's basic ethos, which is that, like, they don't go in for, like, ten-minute-long prog epics. Or yeah, exactly. Else. Yeah, five minutes, that's, you know, if they're doing that, yeah. then, like, that's, like, a major statement for them. It ends with a, a really interesting kind of dance groove with Nobody Gets Me But You, which I don't really, I don't love, but it's an interesting song. Um, and uh, it's got kind of this Radio Gaga, um, which is... Should have been on the previous album, I guess, for that reason. Uh, Radio ga 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 bass groove <laughs> to it. It's very Queen's, Queen's best song, I might point yeah, out. <laughs> really, really danceable song that I think kind of foreshadows what they what they do in a few years. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with Scott on this one. Um, it's definitely not a bad album, but it's not it's not uh, high up on my playlist for them. So uh, you know, again, what, what happens four years later? Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Yawn, boring. Spoon comes out and puts out another great friggin' album. But before that, before that, Britt Daniel does a little side project called The Divine Fits. Yes. Um, um, what's the name of that album? The thing called The Divine, F- Divine Fits? Well, it's pretty if good. It's, if you it's, like Spoon, you, it's, that's it's, a good album. Yeah, it is pretty good. And in fact, it's not, it's, not, it's not his only side project. Of course, he did um, Drake Tungsten, right? By the way, this is how you knew that I was going to love Spoon from the jump because, like, you know, this guy is not only writing music that is completely in my wheelhouse and, and tuned to my sensibilities but he's also a mystery science theater dork uh uh, mystery science theater 3000 drake tungsten comes from an episode from their from uh, hercules against the moon men this is like i don't know 1991 or something like that when i was watching it as a kid uh where they're like you know they're watching a hercules film and the name of the actor is alan Steele. Ooh, Alan Steele. He's actually some Italian dude, but they gave him an Americanized name for the American release. So he's Alan Steele now. And so, like, you know, during a break from the show, from the movie, they're like trying to come up with their own goofy names, like, like, uh, you know, like, was, you know like, 
Biff Riprock, or I think uh, uh, Tom Servo failed. He he kept on coming up with lame ones like you know like rust tile floor or something like that, or like you know Danny Drywall. But anyways, Drake Tungsten was one of those names, <laughs> and that's then that's why Britt Daniel chose that name for one of his side projects. So he's had some pretty interesting stuff off the side that we can't really get to. But like, yeah, he's he's a very fertile musician. He's got a lot of really interesting things going on. And you're right. And I I really do like that side project. But I think I like the thing called Divine Fits. That's the album. Yeah. Uh, And you should check it out. But I guess it technically falls outside the, you know, the purview of the show. And and what doesn't fall outside is an. as I said, predictably, another fan freaking Spoon album called They Want My Soul. And at this point, after like six or seven straight great albums, yeah, you know what? All right, Spoon, you can have it. I'll give it to you. Uh, <laughs> you, you won. You beat me. You're almost in fear. I, rem- I literally remember thinking to myself when this album came out. This is in 2014. This is like right before I got married, actually. So, wow, it kind of makes you feel old to realize it's been seven years ago. Um, I remember actually getting aggravated. I had this humorous thought to myself. I was just like, you know, you sons of bitches, why do you keep fucking doing this? All right, why do you just keep putting out good records that I have to now listen to? Like, I was like humorously angry at them for not failing. And I. You know, it's again. That's 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 you know. I guess as you can tell from the show, that's the story of Spoon. This is I love this album, um, and it's it's easily one of my favorites. I think they they this is unique for them because they brought in a couple of outside producers this time. Um, one of them was uh, Dave Fridman, mm-hmm. the who, Flaming uh, Lips guy. Yeah. That's the way I always think of him. And, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it makes sense because Eno's drums were always kind of boomy, and yeah. Friedman is famous for getting that oh, really loud, yeah. overheated drum sound. And yeah, you you get that here, and it works. And the other is a guy named uh, Joe. I think it's Joe Ciccarelli. Um and uh, so they both of them share song writing credits over the course of the album. Um, so, and not surprisingly, it, you know, they, they take some kind of sonic departures over the course of the album. And if I remember right, I heard Daniel and, um, uh, you know, describe, uh, the situation in an interview once where they one I can't remember which producer it was, but they didn't really like working with him. And so they ended that a little bit early and then brought on the other producer. And I was surprised that they didn't like one of the producers because I think I really can't tell a difference in quality between the songs and who's producing what. I just think it's a consistently superb album. Um, and I might surprise some people with my final two picks, um, which is a reason to hang around, I'm sure. But uh, um, just picking out one uh, at random, Outlier, th- there's not really a song like this, uh, I think, in their catalog up to now. It, it ha- They've done kind of songs with dance feels, as I mentioned before, at the, at the end of... Um, uh, transference, but uh, this one is—it's kind of has an electronic echo, kind of a, uh, a really good bass groove, kind of a space, spaced-out feel to it. Um, and I love the lyrics. Uh, it, It's—he's uh, describing somebody he knows, and um, I don't—and I think describing them sarcastically. But there's just one kind of snotty line that I really like. I remember when you walked out of Golden State, the the movie. Um, I remember when you walked out of Golden State, 
because you had taste. You had taste. You had no time to waste. Was, and I, I can't I tell thought if that's it was, a dish. Okay, I feel like a misremember. Mis- mis- I thought it was Garden State. Oh, sorry, Garden State. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's yeah, Garden yeah, State. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's horrible Zach Braff movie. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. He sits there with Natalie Portman on the airport, and they like yeah. put their earbuds in, and they like share a moment listening to cool music. And oh, you know what? Yeah, that, it's I, so insufferable. A little bit of irony there is that Chicarelli produced some Shins albums, mm-hmm. and and ah, uh, the Shins feature prominently in Garden State. Yes, yeah. yes. I think I think um, new slang is the song that that yep. makes them realize they're in love. But anyway, yeah, I'm I sorry. Didn't, I didn't. State. Why didn't walk out of Garden State? No, I so I I, I, I I wish I could have. Yeah, exactly. I can't tell if that's if that's making fun of Garden uh, Garden State or if it's making fun of uh, the person. You were smart. You no part. You. What you thought And I remember when You walked out of Garden State Cause you had taste, you had taste You had no time to waste I'll just tell you this. I, I, I would have walked out of Garden State. In fact, I even tried to walk out of Garden State, but I wasn't on an airplane and I couldn't get that door <laughs> no open. Because yeah. we were, we, yeah, we were uh, 30,000 you know, 30, feet up in the air. And then uh, another one of my favorites is, is the track right after that, uh, They Want My Soul, uh, which is just basically a catalog of people uh, getting under uh, Daniel's skin. He's afraid they're like, uh, you know, trying to suck out his soul for whatever reason. Um, Jonathan Fisk makes makes his long-awaited return in this one as one of the people who uh, who uh, is out to get his soul. Along with, I, I love the line, um, "Educated folk, folk singers." Singer. Yeah, another people other people out to get him, which I took as a knock on um, like Mumford and Sons were the bands that were big around then. That's just a uh, that's just a, a great uh, kind of a song with with fun attitude. Um, if it's not too too cheesy to say that, and just a great drive to it, and two two straight tracks there with with really hilarious lyrics that always crack me up. I, I think lyrically, and uh, we just talked about this a bit ago, but I think lyrically he's a little more present on this album. Um, I don't know, some of the lyrics are a, a little more direct. Um, I'm just thinking about the ones you mentioned and uh, mm-hmm. like New York Kiss too. New York Kiss is one that's a little more direct. 
I, I really like this album too. Uh, agree with Chris, of course. Uh, this is uh, um, this is really good. It's not going to crack my my top two in the end. It's just just the, the competition is too stiff. But uh, it's a really great listen. Um, this is uh, well. First, uh, look the rent I pay. Rent I pay. The first track yeah. on the album. <laughs> that is a monster of a track, and they get. It's probably Fridman producing that one because they get this That's huge drum sound. Giant yeah, it's Fridman. Open yeah, it's gate back to them getting their first snare. tracks right. Yeah, I mean, Rent I Pay, and I love the kind of syncopated vocal track where he's kind of darting in between the the, the, the drum hits with uh, with the, with the vocals, the lyrics. Uh, Rent I Pay, oh, man, that, that's just a fantastic track. You know, one of those man. Different world, different uh, different environment. You know, actual single, maybe a hit. I mean, that that, that had hit written all over it. Just a very catchy, mm-hmm. huge, huge monster of a track. Unfortunately, it was 2014, and there's just no appetite no. for great music like this uh, in, in among the public. No. And, or or oh. a song like song like "Do You." I mean, "Do You" is another. Uh, do, do you do you is a competitor for my top five. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just here. It's so good. What a wide open melodic rhythmic track again. The, the rising. Jeff has mentioned this a couple times, but the rising falling of that vocal melody, simple and accessible. Yet when you sort of crack the hood. There's a lot going on. They're still they're still adhering to that sort of everything has its place. What where can we place place this? Where where, where will it make the most sense and, and advance the song forward? Uh, Do you is fantastic track, um, and one that's going to get stuck in your head. And the way that he delivers that chorus, Do you is kind of through closed mouth, gritted teeth. I don't know how else to explain how he sings. Do you? It's just it's the way it sounds. Uh, Chris yeah, mentioned that it's, he sounds he sounds like he's in pain. It's so it's so earnest. Yeah, well, he's um, maybe and, he's and, asking, but he's not sure he really wants uh, to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I like again, it, you know, he's not afraid to be a little bit goofy with his vocals, like mm-hmm. the 
You can record over that with uh, or play over that. Oh, with why would we do that? Song. <laughs> but I love those. I love those uh, vocal effects over that. Uh, I, I promise you, Chris, we're going to leave that in just to punish you. <laughs> what you know, here, uh, the, the, exactly. What's the best thing you can say about "They Want My Soul"? There's an Anne Margaret cover song yeah. on this friggin' record, and it's great. It's good, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's really good. I just don't understand. Um, but you know, like, yeah, do you, Scott? Already, I stole some of my thunder, and in, actually, Chris did it as well with "Outlier," but also like "Rainy Taxi," "Inside mm-hmm. Out," "Ran I Pay." It's just again, this is the stupid ridiculous refrain with this band that again i'm just thinking that like there are many people listening to the show that they never even heard of them before they clicked play on the podcast they keep doing it they keep doing it and in fact my guess is that the only time they've even slightly faltered is on their next album but even then they didn't entirely falter yeah. I love the name Hot Thoughts because it reminds me of Slate Pitches, Hot Takes and all that, <laughs> right? Right? You know, uh, I've got a lot of hot thoughts in my head. I usually uh, save them for Twitter. And in fact, actually, in my better better judgment, I, I keep them away from people. You don't want to hear all of my hottest thoughts. Um, but this is the first and only time in their entire career where I actually think, eh, there are a couple songs here I genuinely don't like. And I'm interested to hear whether the ones that I genuinely don't like are the same as your picks. However, uh, this still has Do I Have to Talk You Into It on it and, you know, a bunch of other fantastic songs. This is like the only one where I was like, well, this is a B album, but, you know, still a B album from a band that's been doing it for over 20 years. So I'm not that disappointed. And... Again, if if the rumors are true, we're gonna have a new one next, you know, you know, sometime this year. In fact, anyways, you guys, thoughts? This is I, I consider this kind of their their some girls in that it's you're, they're diving headfirst and kind of uh, d- very different direction, very dance. You know, they had experimented with dance exactly, before, yeah, but this is new sounds for yeah, sure, right? Very new, um, and and probably their most like. Uh, sensual album right with some of the lyrics um but unlike some girls it just doesn't have a lot of you know superb tracks which is you know not ideal and it i do love a couple of songs on this album but only a couple of them and you mentioned do i have to talk you into it um that's probably the least dancey of the songs it's just kind of old school spoon uh but it's just Really, really cool. You can, kind of, um, you can kind of dance to it. It's got the—I mean, those drums just are swagger. Yeah, it's, it's got a pulse. I would strut. I think so, I, yeah. I, no, it, but I would strut to this one. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's <laughs> strut, funkily strut. Jimmy Dicks in his long dark coat comes up with a tender throat, and he hides it away in Bronson Park, so he can't get to it at the dark. Like uh, like Travolta in uh, right. 
whichever Saturday movie that night was. Fever. All of them, I guess. <laughs> it's not Saturday Night Fever. It's, it's like a, it's a really a bad sequel. Yeah. Like, I think I can't remember. Staying what it Alive. Is like, it called, called Staying Alive? Staying Alive. Yeah, yeah. I want to strut. Boom. <laughs> and you're right. You know, do I have to talk you into it? Uh, yeah. That may, that may have even been the inspiration. Uh, almost certainly. Um, but I love that. That's, that's, I think, the highlight of this album. Um, it's, I think, them doing what they do best. Uh, bringing in some new sounds. I don't even know what instrument it is that's just kind of dropping, kind of like these bloop sounds dropping in and out along the way. Um, but Daniel's uh, vocals are, are, are fantastic. It's just a really, it, it's three tracks in. It's, the, it's an excellent song. But, you know, with most of their albums, you get a song that's excellent right away. Hot Thoughts is the opening track. And I like it. It's, it's pretty good, but mm-hmm. um, just not at the same level. The, the other track I really like is First Caress. Yeah. Um, kind of shorter along the lines of some stuff from their their earlier albums. Um, but again, uh, much more sensual, uh, both lyrically and, and musically, than they've been doing in most of their other work. Which are the ones that you actually dislike? Uh, Pink Up for me. Yeah, I was about to say. I was, yeah, oh, Pink thank up. God. It's like, listen, you know, a six minute spoon song should be a red flag ultimately, like immediately. Like, what, what six yeah. minutes? Your spoon. Shouldn't do that. You're, you're not, you're not talk talk on color of spring here. Uh, no, no. And yeah, it's, it's like one of the very few times where I listen, I was like, that's a misstep. That one, and That's, then yeah. uh, "Whisper," I'll listen the second track, and even yep. like "Can I Sit Next to You?" It's it's all right. It's a little too close to "I Turn My Camera On" for me, and that's yeah, yeah, it's already is. a superior it, it, song. Yeah, it, it's like an adequate rewrite. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. I, I it, was complaining about that song today, and my wife scolded me. She she's a big fan, so <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't like that one, and I'd also put "Us" the last track yeah. into this category. It's just kind of bad '80s background music. Yeah, and it's bad. It's bad when an album ends with like mm-hmm. a like a downer, kind of like a not impressive track. Again, that was you know the the same problem I think that that some of you guys might have had with Transference, but I, I liked that album because I just thought the, yeah. the middle part was so strong. But yeah, us is not great. Pink up is really not great. Um, and you know, can I sit next to you? It just feels like it's a, it's a repetition of past triumphs that isn't as good as it was. Yeah. Let me let but, me make sure we don't end our conversation about this album on a down note. So I'll say something nice about tear yeah. it, tear it down. So that's mm-hmm. a great song. So okay, that I is think a great song. I I describe this as Spoon's version of an ELO song. The very bouncing piano, a catchy chorus. There's these Ooh, sort of twinkling like effects in places. Uh, this is very big, huge sort of coda at the back end of the song. So 
Uh, for I, I have no idea if that was the actual intent, but I think you know describing it as Spoon's attempt to write an ELO song, and it works out all right. It works out pretty well. out pretty well and it also makes me really curious about like you know they've had what five years now four or five years to like you know work up what's coming out you know in 2021 right you know that apparently that the new album was supposed to come out in 2020 and then of course the world ended and so they had to put it on hold Presumably because they want to tour and make some money off it. This is funny. We're talking about a band with like an almost unbroken stream of excellence. And like, you know, they basically have to live off of concerts because they don't sell records, (laughs) right? They sell sell records to dorks like us. (laughs) They don't sell records to the masses like Beyonce. Um, So they, they wanted to wait and they wanted to go and, you know, put out the new one. And I, it's one of these things where it's one of the, there's like, there are literally, literally, I would say, three bands that i am excited like for their next album mm-hmm. that i really want to hear the next thing they're going to be you know arcade fire radiohead mm-hmm. spoon i figure that like unless there's some sort of sudden complete collapse in quality control which they have managed to avoid for god knows how long that that's going to be a great record. It's at least, very least, it's going to be an adequate record. And I don't even think they've ever put out an album other than maybe Hot Thoughts, which still got all the critical raves, that even like falls to the level of mere adequate. That's how great a band this is. And uh, if you don't know them, I'm welcoming you to the cult. Join, <laughs> join us. Join us. Come join the cult. I promise you, you will not be made to drink any Kool-Aid, but get into Spoon. That'll wrap up the Political Beats look at the career of Spoon to date. We reach the point of the show where each of our hosts gives you the two albums you should own and the five songs you must hear from our band. This is always difficult, guys, but seemingly even more this is this is way harder than any other episode i feel like in memory we've yeah. ever done that's why we let our guests go first uh chris scalia oh good Dir- thank you so much director that, of academic so- programs at the american enterprise institute at cj scalia on twitter chris your two albums your five songs two albums uh kill the moonlight um i the, their early 2000s masterpiece i think uh just so many perfect tracks on this album um you know uh uh girls can tell is is an excellent album but i just feel like this was a huge leap forward to them um and still has some of my my favorite spoon songs on it um 
And uh, I'm going to depart, I think, from you guys and go with, uh, instead of uh, the Ga album, I'm going to go with They Want My Soul. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, uh, and that it's not a slight on Ga, 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 Ga. Uh, but I just, this album just holds together more for me. I, it's possible that it's, you know, that some of the, the best tracks on the previous album are better than what's on this one, but uh, just all together, all told, I really like the change of directions they, they took with this album. Um, and, you know, it's kind of risky to, to bring on a couple of producers, but I think it paid off uh, wonderfully. Five songs you need to hear. Uh, th- Good luck, one, buddy. I yeah, know, this, this, does, this, this, suck. this sucks. So this does not have to be in order, right? Oh, no. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and it has, it's only five. Okay, I'm going to go with, uh, I think, the fitted shirt. Um, we talked a lot about that, and it's just perfection. My mathematical mind, um, just a, a really, it, as I mentioned before, the very first time, I, I you know, I, the very first time I heard that song, uh, I was moved by it and had to find out uh, what it was, it's, you know, risk of making a fool of myself in front of one of the band members. Um, do I have to talk you into it? Uh, from, you know, I think one of the, the few real highlights on Hot Thoughts. Uh, don't let it get you down. I don't know. That song, as fragile and beautiful as it is, has always really cheered me up. Um, it's just a beautiful song. And I'm um, going to go with They Want My Soul at number five. But it was really hard not to put Jealousy in there. But I'm going to go with They Want My Soul. But do you like how I snuck in six? <laughs> well, I, I literally do that at the end of like <laughs> half of our episodes these days. Host so privilege. No problem. Host privilege. Uh, I feel better now because a few that I think are just going to miss my five ended up on Chris's list. So they'll still be uh, represented here. Uh, the albums for me, my two albums are... Uh, Ga 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 Ga, which uh, I already mentioned. I mean, if I'm calling something the best album of a decade, it's going to end up on this list of, of two. And uh, I think Kill the Moonlight is the other one. I, I don't think you have a valid, uh, acceptable record collection unless you have those two albums somewhere inside. Uh, on the five songs, uh, Anything You Want from Girls Can Tell, I think it's probably the first song that really knocked me on my butt. Uh, Mm -hmm. when I heard it from Spoon. Uh, From Kill the Moonlight, Paper Tiger. Spent a lot of time talking about that earlier. Uh, I I, I have to put both these songs on from from Gaga 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 because they belong together. Finer Feelings and Black Like Me are both on this list. You've got to hear them. And that means I only have one spot for everything else. And so a lot of things came close. Uh, A couple of them ended up on Chris's list. Um... Rent I Pay, uh, the lead-off track from They Want My Soul. That mm-hmm. is a monster of a track, and uh, it'll leave you shaking, shaking your booty, so to speak. It's just a great, great track. So those are my five. I won't even cheat with a sixth. Uh, Jeff, over to you. Oh, yeah. We all have to go through this agony of trying to choose from a band that just didn't screw up. It, it, that was, as we joked on, I joked on Twitter, I was like, this would be a much easier episode if this band had face-planted a couple of times. So we could just like make fun of the way we like make fun of like Bob Dylan's self-portrait <laughs> or, you know, or something like that. But no, it, it, it's Spoon. They just, it's all good. My two picks for the albums, I think, are going to be Girls Can Tell. I feel that's like when they really 
really came into their own and they became, mm-hmm. you know, the band that they would be. They still are, in fact. And then, of course, my second one is ga 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 ga. And you know what I did? I just literally did count it off on my fingers again to make sure I got all five gods. Um, uh, I would also throw in a little endorsement for the Soft Effects EP. It's not an album, mm-hmm. so I'm not cheating because I'm not actually adding a third album. But it's an EP that you probably really only gonna find on on like YouTube. You can go Google, or not Google, but you can search on YouTube for like the Soft Effects EP, and mm-hmm. you'll get the whole thing in sequence. Yeah, listen to it, and you will love it. Five songs. You know what I wrote? I wrote down fifteen songs. <laughs> that was so horrible. So I like throughout the show, I've just been sort of brutally paring them away. <sighs> What do you do? I mean, I really like Telefono, but I don't think I'll put any song from there on it. Um, I guess the first one I'll go with is one that Chris already picked, which is the Fitted Shirt from Girls Can Tell. Um, second one I'll do is They Never Got You from Gimme Fiction. Just mm. you cannot beat a beautiful, simple pop song like that. Uh, the third is going to be, you know, of all the songs on Ga 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 Ga, uh, The Ghost of You Lingers with the you know that the ga 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 piano in fact <laughs> is the one that stays with me the most and you know if to think about a band that started off as a pixies imitator or a pavement you know knockoff to, to go from that to this shows you the sort of the span of their artistic growth and how much how much you know ground that they covered and and how they grew and traveled I think the third, uh, rather the fourth, uh, I, I'll say is uh, an instrumental track of all things. It's I Saw the Light from Transference, or Transference, who knows what the, how, how it's pronounced. Uh, I guess, you know, if I cheated, I'd throw in trouble on the end there because they do segue into one another. But I just love that instrumental track. And then I have to pick one song from They Want My Soul. Such a great album. I think I'm going to go with Do You because um, that that one yeah. really does hang with you. And because I, again, I always do this. I'm just, you know, I'm such a stinker. I'm going to throw a sixth song in and say um, maybe, you know, one of the, the moments where Spoon finally became as great as Spoon were going to be is Lost Leaders on Soft Effects, the EP that I did not recommend on my top two, but I wish that I could. Go listen to Lost Leaders, uh, listen to the entire EP, and in fact, realize how it climaxes with that song, and realize that you have found a band that maybe you are already a fan of, or more likely than not, you might not even have ever heard of, but you are never going to want to stop listening to when you're done.
that is Spoon. It might be the first of a couple uh, future episodes to uh, introduce or give a little more depth onto some bands you may have been aware of or heard a bit of and will we'll, 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 we'll hey, slam hey, that hey, door Scott, open. Hey, Scott, Scott, I mean, I, I'm, I've been suffering from hair loss recently. What do you think I could do to, uh, you know, I don't know, cure that? Well, I mean... Should I wear something? You should. Know? You could get a wig. I don't... <laughs> it, it's, it, uh, you know what? That's a great suggestion. I think I'm, I'm going to look into it. Look, yeah, take, take the next two weeks or so and sort of examine the options. And report back. Yeah. This uh, Spoon episode, our guest, Christopher Scalia, co-editor of Scalia Speaks, Reflections on Law, Faith, and Life Well Lived, and on Faith, Lessons from an American Believer. Director of Academic Programs at the American Enterprise Institute, AEI.org, at CJ Scalia on Twitter, and also previous guest as we talk cheap trick. Chris, thanks so much for joining us once again here on Political Beats. My pleasure, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, Jeff, again, uh, take care of that male pattern baldness and perhaps uh, a cure by the next time we chat. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be all silky and uh, you know smooth by the time we, we come back. At EsotericCD on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And remember, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Help the show stay ad-free, support our efforts. Entry level for uh, support of the show and voting on uh, future episodes. A mid-level for early access to new shows and higher audio quality. And that upper level, everything below, plus exclusive content once a month. Those shows are fun. Remastered episodes, Spotify playlists with our end of show choices and more. Patreon.com slash political beats. And we come to the part of the episode where we thank some of our supporters at the Patreon page. Josh Kramen. Wendy Toriel, Joe Sirapatowski, I hope I got that right, uh, former guest Anthony Fisher, part of the Patreon team, John McFerrin, Daniel Boylan, John Kroger, Justin Cassell, Steve Carroll, Timothy Cobb, Sean McCown, and Peter Berkland. Thank you so much for supporting us and Political Beats via Patreon. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitchers, TuneIn, or go to nationalreview.com and click on podcasts. Find us on Facebook. Talk with us on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs> <laughs>